It is Spidey season here on the Direct Podcast. More thoughts on the latest trailer, a review of The Amazing Spider-Man, and with an MCU cherry on top, the star of Eternals, Harish Patel, joins us live for an interview. Time codes are where they always are. Let's get it. Truth is, we need new heroes. Thanks for the lesson. This is the way. In my culture, I am a Jedi. I am birthed with glorious purpose. We're all villains here. Not us united. I'm a superhero! Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We have had web shooters going off on our head for the past 48 hours, and we are ready to let the bull out of the cage. Here we are. I am Vengeance Matt Rimke, joined as always by my co-host, Content Machine, Liam Crowley. Liam T. Crowley, how we doing, boy? Just fantastic, Matt. Just fantastic. A little under a week until Thanksgiving. All my assignments at university are basically complete. Not quite there yet, but close enough that we can see the finish line, which is what's making me smile. And yeah, man, the content has been has been so hot. You know, the uh, the Hawkeye primer is already in your podcast feeds. The emergency podcast where we went through the Spider-Man 2 trailer initial reactions is in your podcast feeds. We did a trailer reaction for Spider-Man No Way Home's second trailer, which is up on YouTube. Check our socials for that link. We've been working overtime on the direct podcast, but Matt, I don't know about you, but it just doesn't feel like it. It feels like we're in a groove right now and I don't feel exhausted. And that is all I can ask for as we enter, as you penned it, Spidey season. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. The only time I felt a little exhausted on it is uh, writing the spider trailer, Spider-Man trailer breakdown at like Mm. 2 a.m. Not (laughs) the best, not the best for the mentals when you're, when you've watched a trailer eight times at like midnight, you know what I mean? Mm. But um, other than that, it's been amazing. This has been such a great week. This is our third episode of the week. That's crazy. That's a crazy thing. Uh, Liam mentioned it, but I'm just going to, you know, reiterate it real quick. The Hawkeye primer is in your podcast feed. Everything you need to know about Hawkeye leading into next week's uh, two episode premiere of Mm. the series. Um, Liam and JRB took care of that one because we couldn't fit it in before I got to see the screeners, but I hop in for a little appearance here and there. So make sure you check that out. Get ready for Hawkeye. Also, the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer reaction. We're going to be doing some leftovers here. On this episode, but make sure you check out our emergency podcast that released a couple days ago, also in your podcast feed for our initial thoughts. And lastly, later in this episode, we will be reviewing our fourth Spider-Man movie, The Amazing Spider-Man, brought to you by Mark Webb. Um, this is uh, number four on the list. We are going through all the Spider-Man movies leading up to No Way Home, us and every other podcast in America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, make sure to go back, check out the Raimi-verse uh, reviews that we did. That was super fun. We're diving into the TASM, and then we'll get into the MCU in the following weeks. It's, uh, it's going to be a good time. A lot of Spidey stuff, man. And, you know, it's been like that since we started the podcast, I feel like. <laughs> Day one was yeah. Jamie Foxx is Electro in Spider-Man No Way Home. And here we are, episode 60. Whoa, nice even number there. Another, oh, yeah. another a road to 100. It's getting closer. Episode 60, even more Spidey talk. That Peter Parker kid commands all the headlines, but I've yet to get, I've yet to grow tired of him. He's the man. I just realized I have it marked here as E60. Great rapper. Awesome glasses. Better jumpsuits. Valore shit. And um, great, uh, great ESPN documentaries, too. E60? Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah, E60. Like there's E60s, 30 for 30s, all those. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Those good times. Look at that. Love it. I love anytime we can tie sports into the uh, podcast here. It's always fun. Um, Before we dive into the news, we've got a quick question. And Liam, it is from a familiar face or familiar name, I guess. K Master 14, a true ride or die here at the Direct Podcast. I believe this is his or her. uh, Do we confirm the gender of this person? I don't believe so. 
hit us up on Twitter. Let us know who you are. Okay, master. <laughs> if you have before, I'm sorry. There's a lot going on, but hit us up again. We want to get to know you a little better because this is your third time entering a question here on the direct podcast and K master 14. He is proof. He or she is proof that if you submit a five-star review and leave a question, we will answer it right here on the direct podcast, either in a quick question or a mailbag. We will let you know. K master is asking guys, I'm sure you have no problem with No Way Home content. You're right, K-Master. We do have no problem with No Way Home content. Always looking for more. So I'll give you a break from that and hit you with another rankings question. And Liam, you know I love a good rankings question. Mm. Ranking Eternals was really tough for him. Uh, He put it at number 15, right around where I have it. Um, Liam, I forget where you have it on your list. Still haven't come to grips with it yet. Come on, man. it's, It's between, I'll give you this, it's between 13 and 20. It's somewhere in there. I've decided that's the range, but I'm not I'm not ready to, to pinpoint it yet. I like that. Um, anyway, K-Master has it at 15. I have it at 19. Liam has it in his middle tier. And it got K-Master thinking, what is your most controversial hash or hottest take ranking? Meaning you have it much higher or lower than commonly thought. K-Master's is Dr. Strange at number five. High praise for the Sorcerer Supreme. Love the character arc and wanting nothing to do with him being a hero to eventually sacrificing the rest of his life to Dormammu if needed. I also love those things about Doctor Strange. Before we dive into um, your hottest ranking, Liam, where do you have Doctor Strange? I have Doctor Strange at 19, and I really like that movie. 18. Look at us. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, Yeah, I think think it is a really great movie. It's just... It's in that kind of vibe where I just feel like I'm going to like the sequel more than the origin story. And I feel that when I watch it, you know what I mean? And, and that's a weird thing. Origin stories have either, if they hit, they're going to be top ranked. If they, if they are a hundred percent, they seem to fall into the back half of that middle tier. It's interesting. Cause I also really like that movie. Liam, what is your hottest take ranking on your list? I'm sure there is a plenty. Yeah, I got three. I got three as of right now. King um, of the Hill, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we'll start. We'll start with the most recent one, which I guess is more polarizing than I expected it to be. I have the Falcon and Winter Soldier at number six. That show made me feel so many emotions, and that finale was so ridiculously validating. And you know, Vince McMahon, WWE chairman, uh, often says you can produce a crap pay per view. The only thing anyone ever cares about is the finish. If you send the fans home happy, they are going to be happy and they're going to remember it as being a good event. And the Falcon and Winter Soldier, by no means were the previous episodes bad. I really enjoyed them. I think that they were all between good and great. But the finale being fantastic, in my opinion, at least hitting on those emotional beats, left me with such a smile and validation internally that's why it ended up at six for me. Uh, my other two hot takes. I'm hold up, exhausted hold up, them. hold up, hold up, hold up. Just for reference. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. Really sorry. You for reference, I have Falcon Winter Soldier at 17, just ahead of Doctor Strange. Interesting. Interesting. But at the end of the day, too, like we talk about the, our tastes within the MCU, yes. you being more cosmic, me being more grounded street level. This was almost everything I wanted from a grounded street level MCU project. I really wish we got that pandemic storyline, but you know, remains to be seen if that's true or not, blah, blah, blah. But the other two that that I'll mention, you know, they've been exhausted on this podcast, Iron Man three, number eight for me. I love that movie. We talk about the grounded MCU, even though it does get uh, a little more crazy in the third act, the 
human scenes with Tony Stark dealing with PTSD and demons from his past and nothing's been the same since New York. I love it. I love having characters that deal with baggage after their greatest battles because it's something as of 2013 that was not explored in superhero movies. Superhero movies, we save the day, everyone eats shawarma and we go home happy. Iron Man 3 took that idea and flipped it on its head. Honey, I can't sleep. I love that. I love Very that. Good. It's it's the best Tony Stark story, in my opinion. And then my final hot take, uh, not one of a, of a movie that people don't really care for that I love, quite the opposite. Thor Ragnarok at 24. Can't do it. Sorry. Just to show how polarizing those takes are for Liam, at least for me, at least for my rankings, which I, I feel like I have a little bit more of a similar to the general populace type rankings. I would say, I don't know. Does that make me basic? I don't know. My, my top three are Winter Soldier, Endgame, and Infinity War. That's as basic as they come. Infinity War, Guardians, Civil War. So, I mean, you know, the, the other two you mentioned are in my top seven. So, anyway, yeah. I, he has Ragnarok at 24. I have it at nine. <laughs> so, there's that. Um, he has Iron Man at eight. I have it at 24. So, it's polar opposite season. Iron Man uh, three. The rankings. I'm in three. What I say? Iron Man. First Iron one. Man. That's, oh, man, that's a great movie. I <laughs> Number 12. I love Iron Man. I have it at 13. Um, my rankings, I'm going to, you know, just like you said, I feel like, you know, the big ones we've talked about at nauseum. I have Guardians at number two. We all know how much I love that movie. I have Ultron in my top 10. We all know how much I love that movie. So I'm going to go with something a little different, but not too different. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I was really surprised the first time we did the direct rankings and, you know, kind of pulled everybody together how low that movie fell um on people's rankings yes it's a comedy yes it is a rehash of the first movie in a lot of different ways because it is a not just a sequel it's like months later kind of thing right it's a side mm -hmm. journey for characters we had just met i understand that it's not as extravagant or world building and it doesn't change the game like a lot of these other movies but i have guardians of the galaxy volume two at number eight and it's because i have it just for reference i have it just above thor ragnarok Two movies I love, two, I think, objectively funny as hell movies, right? You know, the comedy in those movies, I think, you know, are widely beloved. Um, and if you don't like the comedy in superhero movies, they're not going to be for you, whatever. I think that Guardians of the Galaxy has everything Thor Ragnarok has, maybe minus some of those epic action moments. I mean, Thor Ragnarok is full of those epic action moments. Um, but the heart that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 brings, I think is elite tier in the MCU. I think that there's character development. I think that there is emotional stakes. I think that there is real, amazing, dramatic acting from characters you wouldn't expect. And I'm talking about Chris Pratt. I'm talking about Rocket Raccoon. Mm. And I'm talking about Michael Rucker as Yondu. Those, those emotional parts of that movie always just blow me away because it's draped in this colorful, cosmic, hilarious slapstick comedy like it's not it's not trying to be dramatic at any moment and that's why i think when it does it just shines through like a beaming light in the darkness you know what i'm saying and i think that's a really awesome thing um that's my higher than most ranking my lower than most not to piss a lot of people off it's captain america the first avenger love that movie we all know how much i love Haley atwell and i i think it's such a great origin especially knowing what comes after it i've got 22 and I think that's just because it is a phase one movie that lacks a little bit of the, the pop that um, we've become accustomed to in those Captain America movies. The action scenes specifically, I think, lack a lot of what makes Winter Soldier and Civil War so great is the 
not just excitement of the action scenes, the choreography and the intrigue. And like, there's interesting things happening in those action scenes. Nothing against Joe Johnston, but the Russos really just found a way to insert action that you say it all the time. Every punch means something, right? And that is so the case in Winter Soldier and Civil War. I think it misses that in uh, the first Avenger, which I don't think is a bad thing. Obviously, it's an origin story, so it's not going to always have the same stakes. But contrasting that with Winter Soldier and Civil War, the things I love most about those movies from a Captain America perspective, I do think are missing here, which drags it down the list for me, despite being such a great origin story, because it is. It really is an amazing origin story that does nothing but get better the more we see Steve Rogers in the MCU. So um if, if that tells me anything, my number 22 movie is a movie I absolutely love. I love Iron Man 3 a lot, 24. You know, this is how good the MCU is. Uh, the, the bar is different. And, you know, those those tiers of 10, I think, really do a good job defining things. So that is our rankings discussion for the day. Liam, do you have any thoughts on, you know, my hot takes? Cap versus Avengers number 15 for me, but I'm not, it's not one that I I, I fight for per se. It's, it's a good chunk. movie. Yeah. I enjoy it, but I, I agree with what you said. The The action little more cartoony um while while winter soldier and civil war a lot more visceral but that also comes with the fact that the antagonists in those movies are your friends and that's why those punches mean so much it's because you're fighting family while cap first avenger uh you want to punch nazis like that's what it is (laughs) that's good um awesome guys that has been our rankings discussion again leave a five-star review drop a question we will get you here in the quick question segment of the podcast, Liam, we are 13 reviews away from 100. And you know what? Surprise, surprise. From this point on, from the moment you hear this in your ears until the end of the year of our Lord 2021, if you leave a five-star review in the direct podcast, Apple podcast feed, you'll be entered for a chance to win a Spider-Man Funko Pop. All for it. All for it. Ooh. I realized how close we were getting. And you know what's annoying Ooh. too? Is when someone resubmits a review, it, it doesn't count as an extra one. So we've been we've been plateauing a little bit because new reviews are coming in, but they're updated old ones. So if sure. you haven't left a review at all, we implore you, please, please, please. We want to hit three digits before the year's end. And knowing the magic of Spidey season, I know we can do it before December Absolutely. 31st. 100%. You'll be in for a chance to win a Spidey Funko Pop of your choice if you leave a review from now until the end of the year. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to what you came here for. The top news, everything you need to know about the universes you love. The Sizzle Reel. Yeah, it's Spider-Man mania for the remainder of 2021. The new trailer has arrived and the press tour has begun, meaning that we are getting quotes and snippets and tidbits and everything in between from Tom Holland and the rest of the cast. The holidays are around the corner and that means Hawkeye is also around the corner with the Sharpshooters series ready to drop next week. Vincent D'Onofrio, who plays the beloved Wilson Fisk, uh, William Fisk, Wilson Fisk, <laughs> on the Netflix Daredevil series, tweeted how excited he is for the show. Is Kingpin in Hawkeye? This is a point for the yes theory. Switching over to the blue brands in a real Jackson Mahomes situation, Eternals star Barry Cogan's brother took to Facebook proclaiming that his brother Barry will be playing Joker in the Batman starring Robert Pattinson. This is most definitely not the case as of now, but this is just a reminder that Druig has a role in the Batman. And in some news from a galaxy far, far away, it was recently reported that Patty Jenkins and Chloe Zhao both 
had their rumored Star Wars project shelved for creative differences. So, the Wonder Woman 1984 and Eternals directors will not be making their way to the Lucas family anytime soon. Major bummer. And for more information on everything you need to know about the universes you love, make sure to check out the direct.com. What about the people in the back? Hello, people in the back. You look especially good today, so I'm going to let you know one more time for the one time, the direct.com. Liam, that is um, a more brief sizzle reel than we've had in a while, but there's a lot of meat on that bone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, usually we get a full turkey. This is just like a fat leg, but like sometimes <laughs> that's better than like the full plate. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with Spider-Man. Ever heard of him? Once or twice. The recent quote that's been going around in a very big way is Tom Holland talking about his future in the role. And obviously this is something that's going to be talked about every single time he gets on screen for the rest of his life. You know, he's tied to Spider-Man forever. Um, Just like Tobey Maguire, just like Andrew Garfield. Tom Holland talks about, you know, just the character and what the MCU wants to do with it and all these things. And he was pretty candid about it. You know, if I'm playing Spider-Man when I'm 30, I've done something wrong. I think that a lot of people took that as like, oh my God, he's on his way out. 25 years old. Imagine being at any job for 12 years. <laughs> like 12 years is a long time, especially for an actor who likes to create. It's not like Tom Holland hasn't been working outside Spider-Man. Don't get me wrong. He's in almost every major IP or not IP, but every you know big tentpole movie that comes out, Tom Holland seems to be connected Um, He mentioned that, you know, he hopes that the MCU is able to introduce a Miles Morales to kind of take the mantle as opposed to a reboot recast situation. Um, Liam, just your thoughts on the Tom Holland five-year plan. I don't think that fans should be upset by this quote because at the end of the day too, people are comparing, you know, what happened, what changed because he's on the record of saying a couple of years ago, I want to play Spider-Man for the rest of my life. So everyone's like, oh my God, did he have a bad experience? No, I just, I think, I think he's tired, you know, like he's been a nonstop Peter Parker since he was cast in 2015. He shows up in 2016's Cap Civil War, 2017's Spider-Man Homecoming, 2018's Avengers Infinity War, 2019's Avengers Endgame, and Spider-Man Far From Home. And if it wasn't for the pandemic, well, no, actually, uh, No Way Home was always getting released in July of 2021, but he was going to be filming in 2020 and filming started then. So He's been nonstop in this role for so long. I don't think that this means he's definitely not going to continue the role in his 30s because I know we're all fantasizing about the three trilogies of Tom Holland movies, those being the high school trilogy, the college trilogy, and the adult trilogy. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. (laughs) And I don't think that that means it's not happening because of this quote. At the end of the day, too, he knows what he's doing. He's a businessman. If he makes this quote, he's saying, yeah, well if and when No Way Home makes close to $2 billion in the midst of a global pandemic, you know, that might be my big hot take box office prediction. We'll see as we get closer to the film. <laughs> I He knows that Sony will back up the, the trucks for him for another series of movies. So yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't put a lot of weight in this meaning he's done as soon as he turns 30. Nothing to add here. Um, I'm taking this one movie at a time with my boy, Tom Holland, my favorite Spider-Man. I think we... I, I am firmly confident we are getting a second trilogy, something that really explores the, you know, post-child, child, not the right word, but the post-teenager life of uh, Peter Parker. Um, and I love what he said there. You know, it, ideally, over the next, you know, handful of movies that he's in, we are able to introduce him Miles Morales and get that uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America moment, where it is a natural progression of handoff. It is a passing of the guard that we can all get behind. 
And, you know, Tom Holland does, what, six movies so far, probably going to be eight or nine by the end of the day. Miles Morales is going to get the same play, and I think we're all pretty excited about that as well. Um, Sticking with Spidey for a second, like we said at the top of the show, make sure to check out our emergency podcast um, reacting to the new Spider-Man No Way Home trailers, all of our initial thoughts right after we saw it and wrote a bunch of articles about it. But let's do some cleanup, Liam. You know, we've had a couple of days to sit with it. Twitter has pointed out a variety of things that maybe we have missed when we first watched it. I want to talk to you first about something very depressing and sad. There's a scene in this movie that is spread throughout this trailer. It's not shown in any sort of consequential, uh, sorry, consecutive kind of way that can really piece it together too much. But that moment where Tom Holland's going after the pumpkin bomb and he just misses, you know what I mean? We see the explosion, very dramatic moment in the trailer. That set piece, that scene, the building that that scene happens in is shown a couple more times in the theater. One with Aunt May, one with Happy Hogan, and one with that building getting destroyed probably by that pumpkin bomb and an electro lightning strike. Stakes, you know, they got to be set somewhere, right? And deaths in the MCU, while they haven't always been uh, definite and they haven't always had the impact long-term, they do usually hit within the movie. Aunt May, Happy Hogan, it looks like one of them, um, I think the two of them have become my favorites for a movie death here in this movie. Um, you know, do, do you have any thoughts on that sequence that you can kind of piece together in your mind? And, you know, what does an Ant-Man or Happy Hogan death look like in Spider-Man No Way Home? I know it's just the betting term, but when I hear like my favorites for death, I'm like, no, I don't, don't want them to die. You know, like, I I know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but hearing it out loud, I'm like, the number one title contenders for death. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that this has got to be happy Hogan. If one of the two is going to bite the dust because please please don't make, yeah, nice. Please don't make Peter Parker an orphan. Like I know he's going to struggle right in this movie, but like, don't take away his only caretaker left. Like we haven't seen, um, his parents, die it happened off screen same thing with uncle ben but the implication is that they did pass obviously and aunt may is all he has left in terms of going home to somebody he's still in high school he's not living with mj anytime soon so like damn like i don't want either of them to die but if it's going to be one of the two i'd rather it be happy hogan and that'll still even crush me because that means yet again we lose an mcu og someone who's been there since day one You talk about Tom Holland committing to a role for over a decade. Happy Hogan, even though John Favreau, you know, it started as just a fun way to get him involved in the movie he was directing. It very quickly turned into being a stapled character of not just the Iron Man trilogy, but the MCU franchise as a whole. We've seen Happy Hogan in so many key movies outside of of Tony Stark related projects, you know, Spider-Man Far From Home, Mm -hmm. Spider-Man Far From Home being one. um, And he has a big role in Spider-Man Homecoming in scenes that aren't involving Tony Stark. So yeah, I'd rather it be happy, but man, we're, we're going to cry, aren't we? We're going to, we're going to cry a lot. This movie. hundred percent. John Favreau is an incredible actor and creator. We all love him for everything he does. Like John Favreau revived the Star Wars franchise. Like that's a real thing that happened. And, um, you know, shout out, him elf. To, shout out elf, shout out elf, always, you know what I mean? Um, uh, but the children love the books. <laughs> um, God damn it. That movie's funny. Um, so I think that, you know, him saying goodbye to this character in a movie like this, 
obviously this is the Spider-Man tribute movie. And if Happy Hogan dies, there's going to be people on Twitter who'd be like, oh, yes, Steve, we're just making this more about Tony Stark. No, we're making this about Peter suffering loss. And Happy Hogan is someone who is so unbelievably embedded into Peter Parker's superhero journey in a huge emotional way. And I think that the loss here, I think for Peter and Aunt May could be really huge. Um, yeah, I think, I think happy might be the one, but you know, we can't, we can't be too sure about anything. And I think that, you know, this is going to be such a great way to tear Peter Parker down and really get the most out of this Tom Holland talent of making us feel what he feels, which is a really awesome thing. Um, really quick. I want to talk about the suits. Um, thought about something a little bit we got the iron spider obviously right mm. we have the far from home suit is that we're calling it the black and red yeah we got the yeah. iron spider suit we got the far from home suit and then the two other suits we see in this trailer and the other trailers as well is the black and gold suit and the integrated suit the theory is and the trailer i think all but confirms it the black and gold suit is one of the other suits turned inside out I think that's an awesome way to do the electric thing, and it looks fucking dope. The integrated suit looks like the far-from-home suit with what is left of the Iron Spidey suit to have the integrated thing. I mean, it's in the name, right? The integrated suit. So really, those are the only two suits we've seen in, in this movie so far. We've seen the Iron Spider, we've seen the far-from-home, and we've seen variations of the two. Are we not going to get any new suits in Spider-Man No Way Home when that was kind of the talk of, you know, there was a couple months where like the talk was, oh my God, look how many different suits we're going to get in this movie. It looks like we're not getting any new ones and we're just getting variations of the two that we all very well know at this point. Yeah, and I'd be shocked if that wasn't the case, but looking at the trailer footage, it does seem like we're not getting anything really authentically new. And we point to the third act, obviously that battle seems to be heavily edited and, you know, who knows what's been swapped out and what's been erased, but why would you swap out if, if the integrated suit and the integrated suit is technically a new design. So why would you fake us with a new design and conceal some, like, I, I don't think that that's right. a trailer fake out per se. And right. the, the equation I'm kind of going off of in my head for how that comes to be is I think that you take the far from home black and red suit and then the remaining nanotech particles to create the integrated suit, because as we see in the trailer, as you know, Matt, you wrote the trailer breakdown, you watch it frame by frame. When, on the direct.com. On the direct.com, 20 things you missed. Most most trailer breakdowns in the 12 to 15 range, this man did 20. So it just started at 30. <laughs> <laughs> director's cut coming. I actually, I don't want to make you work anymore. No, That's no, that. way, not, no. <laughs> way too much. But um, we see when, when Doc Ock absorbs some of the nanotech particles, Peter is now missing some. And that's why he yeah. shifts when Doc Ock swings an arm at his chest. That's why it leaves his face and goes to his chest because he's shifting the nanotech particles, the ones he has remaining, because it's a limited quantity. So shout I think Infinity that War. shout out Infinity War. So I do think that there's a good chance that the integrated suit is what's remaining of the nanotech mixed with the far from home suit, which, as you said, Matt, makes it not technically new. Yeah. So badass, though. That's so oh, yeah. cool. That's yeah. so cool. It's such a cool way to do it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it'll be interesting how they play the whole suit angle here. Like we've we've been talking about this for a year we're drastically heading toward the too many stories of what's problem that spider-man movies always have the suit thing i wonder how big it's going to be a play here it looks like it's going to be way less than we ever expected um i'm going to skip the favorite villain upgrade thing we've talked about we talked about that on the emergency podcast make sure to check that out liam 
Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Electro, Sandman, Lizard, that makes five. I would be absolutely shocked if there wasn't any sort of tease to the number six here. A lot of people say, well, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have a six one here. You can't have five and not at least tease six, maybe even in a post-credit situation. Who is your number one contender? Who's your favorite for who that six villain could be? I am going to go with Michael Keaton's Vulture. And the reason why I'll say that is because of news that surfaced today, time of recording, that Michael Keaton was shooting some Vulture-related scenes as of today, I believe. Like, he's going back to do Vulture content for an upcoming project. We don't know which one. And the beauty of the Sonyverse is this could be stuff for Morbius. This could be stuff for a Venom 3. This could be stuff for the MCU. This could be stuff for a project that doesn't even involve Spider-Man, it could be one of the Disney Plus shows. We do not know. But it makes me think that he has a larger role to play within this Sony Spider-Verse that's being assembled. And I would be surprised if we didn't get at least one Tom Holland villain among the Sinister Six lineup that seems to be being assembled. Because as of right now, Sandman, Green Goblin, and the no sandman green goblin and doc ock are all toby villains while lizard and electro are uh andrew villains so i feel like one of them you know you got to round out the team with someone created from this universe so i'm hoping it's vulture but i'm i'm a betting man i think it's venom probably Uh. yeah and see that's that that's right that's where i come on this like i don't like any of the options really that much um I, I mean, obviously, Michael Keaton as Vulture is one of the greatest villains in the MCU. I'd argue that he's underrated. Like, I know I know he's not out of anybody's top five in a mass way. Him not being in the top three, I think, is an underrated thing. Good. I was going to say, if you're going to, if you really want an authentic villain, you want to really drum up some of the heat that's going on in the real world. If Jake Gyllenhaal shows up as Mysterio um, in this movie, you're going to get people like, boo! Because, like, I don't know what's going on with the Taylor Swift drama, but everyone's just dragging Jake Gyllenhaal's name through the mud these days. And if he shows up as like slick little Quentin Beck being like, I told you, Peter, like I always, I'm always two steps ahead. People are going to be pissed. And that's the job of a heel. We should be rooting for the bad guys. Do you really not know what's going on with the Jake Gyllenhaal? uh, It was was explained to me. Like he didn't show up to a birthday party and left a scarf. What I love the most, scarf, Jesus. Um, you have no idea how big that scarf was when it happened. <laughs> uh, but what I love the most about the Taylor Swift, Jake Gyllenhaal thing, obviously they used to date, and apparently the song that she recently released is about him from 10 years ago. Taylor Swift, you're petty. Um, <laughs> the funniest thing is she is redheaded in that music video, obviously looks like Mary Jane, and there's an upside-down kiss in that music video. Jake Gyllenhaal was supposed to be Tobey Maguire. <laughs> like, yeah. like that is such a punch in the gut for a guy who missed out on Spider-Man. It's so hilarious to me. Um, I think Mysterio is my answer here, but here's why I don't really love it. I think whoever that sixth villain is needs to raise the bar. He needs to come in and change everything. So that's why as much as I love Vulture, I don't think that he's a good fit for that because it's not like he's going to come in and be like, all right, guys, now you listen to me. Like, this isn't a Dr. Doom situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so I think Mysterio could do that. But then I think about the power set thing. 
I love what they did with Mysterio and Far From Home. It's, a, it's actually a smaller story than people give it credit for because it's a guy using tech to create illusions. What an amazing way to adapt a hyper comic book campy thing of the illusionist who throws a smoke bomb down and gets away. Like, you know, using the barf technology to do that, I think is so cool. But how does that fit in with a giant sand monster, an electricity factory, and a giant dinosaur? Like, like that doesn't really fit in, I don't think, the whole drone thing because it's heavily reliant on nothing getting in the way of it, open space kind of stuff. So I really don't know what the answer is. I don't want it to be Venom because, again, I don't think he comes in and just starts commanding the room. I think whoever the sixth villain needs to come in and command the room, an MCU Norman Osborn would be pretty sick. And, mm. and that's the kind of thing like you want to pop, all right, right? All right. All right. You want a big pop from whoever that six villain is. And there's two ways to do that. You either bring in somebody who the character, who the audience already knows a Mysterio, a vulture of venom, or you bring in a new character played by an actor that induces shrieks throughout the theaters. And that's my con. Hey, so mm-hmm. um, I think it'd be cool if a MCU Norman Osborn showed up. It just doesn't really make sense. You know what I mean? It's going to be interesting. I'm excited to find out. So um, real quick, I want to move on to Barry Kogan. Um, I don't think he's playing Joker and Batman. I think his brother posting that, if anything, verifies that. Like, nobody would let him do that, and nobody took it down. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So um, if he is, that'd be cool, but I don't see a world where the Batman's introduced in the first movie of what's supposed to be the next Batman franchise. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a build-up situation. And Barry Kogan, like, are, are we going to meet Joker before he comes Joker? I don't think so. Um, so what do you think Barry Kogan's role in the Batman is going to be? Villain, side character, maybe a Robin. I don't know. What do you think? I think he is playing Joker. Okay. Kind of kind of buy into it a little bit. And I, I'm also buying into it because the more I think about it, the more I hope it happens. Uh, his, his performance as Druig, you know, was not Joker whatsoever, but he has that calming presence, that, that calming charisma that the Joker can be up in your face, but also he's at his scariest when he knows he's in control and he doesn't have to be super loud and obnoxious. And yeah, I mean, I think the smart bet is he plays someone involved in the Gotham Police Department, and then he has a more prominent role in that Gotham uh, PD spinoff series for HBO Max. I think that's the smart bet. But him popping up in a post credit scene, you know, in Arkham Asylum, you know, hey, Batsy, 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 like, be kind of fun and be kind of fun. And I haven't been married to any actor to take on the Joker role within the Batman um, universe that I'm hoping that they're building just yet. We did our fan cast and I think Rami Malek would be cool, but I wasn't like in love with that idea. The more I think about Barry Kogan, the more I'm like, yeah, I, I dig that. And also because like I could see him in the face paint and I could see him with the, with the green hair. More than you did Kate McKinnon? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I don't care for that <laughs> no, it's one. It's okay. Shit picked by me. But um, <laughs> the the reason I don't, I don't know. I'm intrigued. You know what I'm saying? Because like, mm. this is Batman year one. You know what I mean? This is Batman just starting. Having a post credit scene with somebody saying Batsy, Batsy, Batsy or something like that doesn't really make sense because like he just got here. It would almost need to be a somebody who gets screwed over by Batman in this movie becoming the Joker as a result of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can't imagine that they introduce a villain who already has a Batman vendetta that we haven't seen yet because this is supposed to be his first go. This is supposed to be him and the audience both learning how to become Batman at the same time. So it's interesting with that. A quick Google of who 
you know, what Batman villain could show up in this trilogy. The Mad Hatter, I think, is a really awesome thing for Barry Cogan to try to do because it still has that kind of crazy vibe. Mind control, Druid, right? Ooh. Am I right? Um, and you know, the Mad Hatter, I think, is somebody who can fit into this universe in a really creepy way. I love Alice in Wonderland. It's the only book I've ever read cover to cover that is not a comic book. Did you well, not go to school? Well, I did, but like I never finished the book. Fair <laughs> like, enough. Ever. Like, ever. Like, not even ever Gatsby? Really... I didn't read Gatsby. Oh, wow. Okay. No, I read Odyssey, though. The like oh, the abridged no. version of it, though. You can't, you obviously can't have a seventh grader actually read the Odyssey. <laughs> but the Odyssey is um, canon in the, in the Percy Jackson universe damn straight uh, it's also canon in uh, eternals if you really want to look at it like that Whoa. um i think that i think that you know barry cogan is going to be an interesting role here i hope it's not just a uh you know jim gordon's number two you know what i'm saying i hope it's mm-hmm. not something like that because barry cogan the more i think about eternals the more i love him in that movie and uh you know i can hear him say my beautiful macari over and over and over and over again never get sick of it so i hope he brings some sort of creepy suaveness my only, my other thing about the joke with barry cogan do you think he's got a smile for it yeah gotta have the smile the uh when he leaves the cabin in the amazon and he's got the little smirk but mm. a smirk's not gonna cut it i but it's you're talking it's, about a full teeth grin something i don't know i mean they've done it a lot of different ways they've done the full teeth grin with uh, Jack Nicholson. They did the grills thing with Jared Leto, which I thought was a cool decision. They did Different. the scars, obviously. And then, you know, the, as as iconic as the scars are, the blood paint is oh, the yeah. coolest fucking Joker smile of all time. What Do you think a grin can cut it for the Joker? Yeah, because I think it's new. All the ones you mentioned are not, are not a grin. <laughs> good point. It's a good point. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on to Star Wars really quick. It was mentioned that Patty Jenkins and Chloe Zhao are out of their rumored Star Wars um, projects because of creative differences. Liam, creative differences are nothing new to this regime for Lucasfilms. Kathleen Kennedy, congratulations on an extension. Um, you've obviously, um, you know, it's been a polarizing ride. For Cat Kennedy a little bit, I think. But uh, Mandalorian and Mando Season 2, I think, really revived a lot of that interest in Star Wars. And Kennedy was a part of that. So we got to give her credit where credit's due. If we're going to give her fault, where faults is due as well. Um, creative differences are a big thing with Star Wars directors in the modern era. We've seen it with Ryan Johnson. We saw it with... Oh, Josh Trank. Josh Trank. Josh Trank. Thank you. Um, so, you know, this isn't new. Patty Jenkins, obviously, is the Wonder Woman director who... I think lost a lot of steam um, after Wonder Woman 1984. You remember how excited I was for the Rogue Squadron video? Oh, yeah. The roller skating video. I thought it was one of the coolest things ever. For me, it's kind of a downhill from there for Patty Jenkins, at least from my fandom of her. Um, As I I loved Wonder Woman, the first one. So, you know, it's been downhill just from comparative. And then obviously close out Oscar winner coming off Eternals. Liam, do you have any thoughts on uh, these two going out or if Kathleen Kennedy had anything to do with it? I think that there's uh, no coincidence that both of them exiting is coming off of awkward critic consensus on both of their most recent films. Wonder Woman 1984 is a lot more panned overall. People do not like that movie. And Matt and I have both said, you know, it, it's it's a blemish on a very impressive filmography of Patty Jenkins. And neither of us really soured on her as a creator too much. But, you know, 
people remember what you've done for them recently. And Wonder right. Woman 84 for a lot of people was not a home run. It was not even a single, you know? Sucked. Same thing with <laughs> Eternals, but a lot more polarizing. There are some people that hate the movie. Some people don't like it. Some people love it. Some people think it's a masterpiece. And the fact that both of them now are in flux with, with Lucasfilm is disappointing to say the least, because I feel like studio interference it comes after projects don't play well with audiences. And I get frustrated at this because it's a tale as old as time with Lucasfilm ever since they got bought by Disney. Just let your creators create, man. Like it's so frustrating. And if they make a bad movie, okay, so be it. And we don't, we don't want that. We want to see good movies, but they're star Wars movies. They're going to make money. You do not have to worry about a financial return and your Disney at the end of the day, you can afford to put out some risky projects. That's what Eternals was. Kevin Feige has said at large, he's not too concerned about the box office. They wanted to try something different. And when you've made 13 years worth of profitable acclaimed films, you are afforded that risk. And when you mention all the good stuff that's come from Star Wars since being acquired by Disney, it really starts and stops with The Mandalorian, which was a show that Jon Favreau created and they let him freaking eat. Like, why wouldn't you let Chloe Zhao, like, lest we forget, she won an Academy Award. She is currently, as of today, time of recording, the reigning and defending best director at the Oscars. You have her in your arsenal. Let her do whatever the fuck she wants to do. Same thing with Patty Jenkins. Rogue Squadron, we, we remember that eat. video. She was so excited. And, and the idea of a pilot-centered story in Star Wars was so personal to her. Why won't you just let it happen? Freaking Star Wars, man. The creative frustrations are very much apparent. Let let your creators eat at the end of the day. That's that's the moral of the story with this piece of news. Let Russell Wilson cook. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, a, a really interesting way to simplify everything you just eloquently point out about studio interference it's reactionary we've seen it with sony we've seen it with fox we've now seen it with lucasfilm over and over again you know and and i think that speaks to what marvel studios is doing with this eternals dip in critic response they aren't flinching it's not a reaction this is part of the plan obviously it being panned is not a part of the plan but like they're not going to let it disrupt what they want to do with this ip because they they don't need to let it you know, disrupt what they want to do with this IP. It made $300 million today, Liam. That's Earl said. So it's it's all cooking all the time. And, you know, Lucasfilm sometimes I think needs to get out of their own way. Um, but I want to throw it to you, you know, now that this, you know, there's an opening. Kevin Feige is supposed to produce a movie. Michael Waldron's supposed to write it. Who do you want behind the camera? I mean, I want to pair him with an MCU director, right? Because it yeah. just seems like they do make magic at the end of the Mine's day. Mine's an MCU director. <laughs> like it's hard for me not to say the russo brothers like just in terms of an all-star team michael waldron scribing one of the most complicated yet sophisticated pieces of mcu content with the russo brothers who achieved the single greatest cinematic achievement in hollywood history by making avengers infinity war not just a cohesive movie but a goddamn masterpiece like you assemble that squad russo's waldron feige print money how do you think the Russos would do an origin story? We haven't seen it yet. Ooh, that's a great That's question. interesting. They're really good at balancing multiple characters and storylines together to create one interesting uh, 
plot and interesting is the key word there because it's always interesting. It's never, it's not just, it doesn't just make sense. It makes sense in an interesting way. And that's what the Russo brothers have really hung their hat on. How do you think they do with an origin story? I think that they would fare well, but it yeah. is a, it's a different beast to tackle because you have less room. Things. You have less room to play. Your runtime yeah. is completely restructured. So hundred percent. It's something I want to see now that you mentioned it. That's a good, that's a good question to think about. And, you know, we talked about the Cap- Captain America, the first adventure earlier, you know, what would that look like as a Russo brother, Russo brothers production? It's interesting thing. I like that pick. Obviously people are going to roll their eyes at that, at that pick because they've already done four of the biggest comic book movies of all time. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, let other people do the thing, but I'm doing exactly what you did. I'm going back to the MCU roster to find somebody to do this movie, whatever the next, era of star wars looks like um you know we've seen it in mandalorian it's you know the skywalker saga is over it's completed it's nine movies of varying quality that overall we love the sky the skywalker story right um and you know that's omitting rays of skywalker obviously mm-hmm. um but um you know i think that whatever the next era of the star wars franchise is going to be doing what the mcu does so well and the dceu has tried to do well and they seem to be getting toward that is finding small bits and pieces of that amazing saga and expanding on them and growing them and letting them branch out into their own thing that's what we're seeing with mandalorian they tried it with solo it didn't really hit they tried it uh with rogue one it was more retroactive so i think whatever the next era is going to need to be creating new worlds going to be creating new characters and creating a world that feels that feels lived in right away so you can play within it. You know, an hour of a movie introducing a new world, while it can be cool, it's so much better when you just jump in and you you meet this new world along the way as opposed to meeting the new world and then starting your journey. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think the best example of that that we've seen in popcorn movies as of late Black Panther and it's Ryan Coogler, Oof. you know, like, like just bringing in this guy who did such an amazing job introducing us to one of the greatest corners of the MCU in Wakanda, having him, you know, take that energy to a new planet, to a new galaxy, to a new team, whatever that might be, um, I think would be such a great job. And then you add in a Michael Waldron, you know, complex plot situation. I think you can really just be efficient with how you do that storytelling. And that leaves a back half of a movie for nothing but amazing payoff from, you know, a good early start. So my pick would be Ryan Coogler, just because I fell in love with Wakanda immediately. And that when you write it down on paper, this, you know, Afrotech, you know, hidden jungle society that's, you know, just above everybody else with all these different tribes and, you know, they're futuristic, but it's still a trial by combat. But like that all made sense at the same time. Bring that to a Star Wars energy. I'm there. I love it. I really love it. And the way you kind of set it out that this could be the start of an entire new corner of the galaxy. Sign me up. Yep. All there for it, ladies and gentlemen. That has been our top news from the day, ranging from the red brand to a galaxy far, far away. We're all across the board, right? You know, we're looking to the future. We're trying to see what's going on and what what we can predict of this next era of popcorn goodness that we have in front of us. But also it's nice to look back every once in a while it's time to look back at you know some of the biggest hits some of the biggest mistakes of popcorn past and ladies and gentlemen that brings us to the tasm franchise the amazing spider-man directed by mark webb
Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived at our second stop on the Spidey rewatch train. We went through the Raimi franchise, the building blocks for everything that is comic book movies today. Now we go into our first reboot, the first really big reboot of the modern day comic book era. 2012 brings us The Amazing Spider-Man. A little bit of a timeline thing here. The Amazing Spider-Man comes out in 2012, two months after The Avengers. So the MCU has started to ascend in the most exponential way at this time. We're also five years removed from the end of the Raimi trilogy. That's not that long. We need to think about that. You know, this movie probably started shooting in 2010. So they were just three years away from the finality of a Spider-Man franchise. Keep that in mind throughout this review. I want, I want everybody to think about that as we talk about this movie. This, and watching them back to back like this, Liam, I think it's really interesting. We should compare and contrast because I do think a lot of the decisions made in this movie were affected by how close it was to the Raimi-verse. I hope that didn't steal a take from yours, but we're going to dive into it right here, right now. Liam, you're going to kick us off. Our three biggest takeaways from The Amazing Spider-Man, directed by Mark Webb, starring Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Dennis Leary, and uh, Reese Ephus. Real quick, I want to also point out, not only did it come out two months after Avengers, it came out three weeks before the Dark Knight rises, rises, excuse me. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. What are you? Because we talk about how like recently, oh, 2017, 2021, we were getting a surge of comic book movies. We got the Dark Knight Rises, Avengers, and the, the Amazing Spider-Man Spider <laughs> within like two months of each other. Whoa. 2012 or 2008, right here, go. 2012, I'm sorry, it's gotta be 2012. What? Yeah. Oh my god! It, it, I can't I, think anything's better to wait. I don't. I I know I saw Iron Man in theaters. I don't remember the experience. And sure. my parents lied to me and said the Dark Knight was rated R and said I could not see it. Poor, kid. <laughs> you, poor <laughs> you poor poor kid. Um. All right, The Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. The, What's my your biggest first big take. My biggest takeaway is my my overarching statement about this movie. Man, does this thing got heart. Man, does this thing got heart. I found myself overjoyed with emotion throughout this entire runtime and i think that that was missing for every raimi movie at least overall i think that there are there are pockets in each of the three different spider-men from tom raimi um that that have heart and make me feel emotions and, and things and want to root for peter parker but Throughout the runtime, I fell in love once again with Andrew Garfield's iteration of Peter, his iteration of Spider-Man, the relationships he has in this movie, the sacrifices he has to make, the, the solo scenes of him, you know, kind of going into his psyche and seeing how he thinks. And even just his dialogue, you can tell that a lot of his dialogue with Emma Stone was improvised. And I think that it works wonderfully when he's like, you know, I don't know. I just kind of like being with you. And it's just kind of cool. And you know, what do you, what do you, you do that thing? You do that. Well, no, that's from Tasm too. We'll get into it uh, next week, but you know, he's, so he's hard got, to separate these two movies, man. Yes. It's, it's hard because, but at least, you know, in the tonal shifts, we'll, we'll talk about the tonal shifts next, next week. But the one thing that carries throughout the two Tasm movies is his relationship with Gwen Stacy. And this movie sets it up brilliantly so much just throughout, like I said, the relationships, his quips, his solo scenes when he's developing Spider-Man tech, he's so easily likable and it just creates such a nice heartfelt feeling 
surrounding his iteration of Spider-Man. And I love that. I love that. I finished this movie and all I want to do is talk about it because of the heart that surrounds it from bell to bell. Couldn't agree more. Love the term bell to bell. I'm going to use that from now on. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the Raimi franchise obviously has a special place in all of our hearts because we grew up on it and stuff, right? I think the heart that comes in the Raimi franchise is from that kind of nostalgia. And I don't mean it just because it came out a long time ago. Even like watching it, like I obviously I was a kid, so I don't remember. But like if I put myself in the theater when that movie came out, watching it with a critical eye like we do now in our 20s, I think that like even the heart that comes with it is just because I love Spider-Man, not because of what the movie's doing, because I love Spider-Man. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. I think Raimi knew that, and he leaned into that, and that was a choice. He made a choice. And, you know, the 60s Spider-Man vibe that the Raimi thing has, I think, is supposed to come off a little more slapsticky, supposed to come off a little cornier, a little uh, campier. You know, I hate to say it, but it is. And I think we love the heart in that movie because we love Spider-Man here. It's because we love these characters. And uh, that brings me into my first take. I, I agree with everything you just said, and I'm going to narrow it down. I'm going to narrow down everything you said into two minutes. You ready? Mm -hmm. The car thief scene. Yeah. The scene where he finally gets his suit and he's going through, he's trying to find the lead singer of Nickelback with a star tattoo. And, <laughs> and he gets in the car thief's ear and he's in the back seat and you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I look like a cop? You know, yeah, yeah, definitely. Go out the window. Hundred great idea. Go out the window. And he steps out and he does the thing. He does the Spider-Man thing. This is so far in my rewatch, the best Spider-Man scene we have gotten. Spider-Man one through three, the amazing Spider-Man, those four movies. This is the best Spider-Man scene. It's just two minutes. It's non-consequential. It's not a lot. It's two people talking in an alley, right? It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. This is 10 out of 10 for the entire sequence of this scene. From the, you know, it's subtle. It's funny. It's genuinely Spider-Man. From the way he makes fun of the thug. From the way that he gets serious just for a moment. And then even the way he talks to the cops. I just did 80% of your job. That's a Spider-Man line right there. And more than anything, the most important thing, I believe that's Andrew Garfield behind that mask. I believe it. We just got the first half of this movie introducing this kid that we all just immediately fall in love with because he's relatable. You know, he, yes, he's a nerd in some senses. More than anything, he's a loner. You know what I mean? Like, that's the take. It's not yep. a nerd. <laughs> it's, it's a loner. And, you know, the, the emo-ness, I think, is heightened to the wrong points at times throughout this movie. This movie's not perfect by any means, but man when it's good it's great it really is like and and this scene really just defines it for me the the balance and contrast between peter parker and spider-man is such a interesting thing to tackle i think that i don't buy it with toby mcguire i don't buy that that peter parker is that spider-man when he does make the very few quips that he makes like they're not quips they're buzzwords right but i don't buy that with the tom holland thing i think it's a it very it's so similar at times Seeing this contrast be so perfectly heightened when he puts the mask on, beautiful. It's dynamic, and I think it's awesome. I love that. You, you found my weakness. Small knives kills me every time. And, then, and it just the, the physical comedy behind it, too, just a quiver, quiver, bang, gotcha. Like, it just feels like Spider-Man, and I love that. Like, it feels like the video game Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. You know, in a great way, in the best way. 
when he's enjoying it too you can tell he's having fun with the web shooters because like pop 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 like he just a uh, rapid fire like three in a row just like he's like oh i got you yeah the speed too it's oh. it, i you know when you said the 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 big statement the big um um what's the word in high school yearbooks when you give a spur- superlative superlative there it is uh when you gave the superlative of this being the best spider-man scene so far it's hard to disagree because of everything you said it encapsulates everything we want from spider-man in like 90 seconds and i think that's awesome and that's a really strong first takeaway i i hope i don't steal yours with my second because i know how much you love uh the gwen and peter relationship because like as matt would say like it's hot yo it's hot it is Um, i was hoping you were gonna bring it up so i didn't have to put it on my list my my big statement with it is you know racking my brain this might be my favorite relationship in comic book movies genuinely because i was rooting for them to be together the entire time and gwen stacy emma stone she's not a damsel in distress because uh mary jane watson and the raimi trilogy is 100 a damsel in distress all she does is scream and get you know captured by the villain and she's cannon fodder for you know peter to come and save the day like i'm gonna lure you in Peter tries to get her out of the Oscorp Tower in this movie, and she's the one who says, no, I need to stay, get these people out, and finish the uh, antidote. So that's why, you know, she's different enough from Mary Jane in that sense, but also her dynamic with Peter, you you want them to succeed. We talked about the toxicity of, of Peter and Mary Jane from the Raimi trilogy. It's the complete opposite with these two. Like, they're they're on opposite sides and then they get close, but then they get pushed back again and life gets in the way. And the big theme that, that David uh, Thompson always brings up in order for Peter Parker, in order for Spider-Man to win, Peter Parker has to lose. You really feel that in their relationship throughout this movie, but I just, you, you want them to be together. And it feels as a viewer, like I found myself smiling and like, I caught myself I clapped. I'm like, I'm watching this movie alone right now. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, uh, aren't those the best kind of secrets? You know, like I was like, yes, let's go. Because I was remembering in my head before Tasm too. I'm like, don't they kiss at the very beginning when they're graduating in high school? That means, oh, they're, they're getting back together in this movie. Please, please, please. And then when he says that line, I was like, let's go. And it made me feel happy. And that, you know, maybe, you know, this is a big reactionary statement because I just rewatched the movie. But it's hard for me to rack my brain around any other comic book movie couple that I found myself so rooting for. And I love the Emma Stone, Andrew Garfield dynamic. You can tell that they had just ridiculous amounts of chemistry. I would love to see their screen tests someday. And I'm sure they're on a deleted scene Blu-ray somewhere. Um, But yeah, their dynamic as actors is fantastic. Their dynamics as characters is even better. And I love their relationship. I agree with everything you said. I'm not going to be too horny about it, but man, it's hot, right? Like, yeah, it is hot. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's conversationally hot. Yeah. You know, like, like you just kind of want to get out of the room and let them do their thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, stealing that from, I'm stealing that from Nick Scarpino, but kind of funny, but he's right. Like anytime they talk, I'm like, we should leave them alone. <laughs> like, yeah. like they, they're getting into something right now. I comparing it to the Mary Jane Watson, Peter Parker thing from the Raimi trilogies is just so not fair for the toby kirsten dunce relationship it really isn't like think about arguably one of the most epic moments in comic book movie history when kirsten dunce says go get him tiger at the end of spider-man 2 it really is epic and awesome but i'll tell you what i think it's unearned and i don't buy it 
I don't buy that she ran out on her wedding to go get Peter Parker, and then he immediately has to go to work. Go get him, Tiger. It's epic. I love that moment. Don't get me wrong, but I don't buy it around that one sentence. Compare that to they're they're on the roof. He he doesn't tell her she's Spider Man. He's Spider Man. He shows her he's Spider Man with the the web in. And you know, look at her face when that happens. It's fucking. And he swings off, and she doesn't say go get him, Tiger. You know what she says? Boy, I'm in trouble. That is so much better, man. Like, <laughs> like that is that is amazing acting. It's it might not even be amazing writing, but wow, is it perfect for that moment? Boy, I'm in trouble. I believe you, Gwen Stacy. I believe that you're in trouble because you just got into it. You just got into this world and you can't get out because it's love. And I buy that it's love. It's perfect. I, I think that, you know, Tony and Pepper are great. I love them. You know, I think they're awesome. That's chemistry that you can't find anywhere else. If you're going to find it anywhere else, though, it's right here. And it's also so high school, you know, it's, it's, it's oh, great. Yeah. I love it. I think that the MJ, Tom, uh, the Zendaya, Tom Holland relationship, I love to an amazing degree because it's john hughes high school like it's it's awkward and stuff this is more of that sexual chemistry that you just can't you know you can't produce it's got to be there and i think it's there in spades um compliment sandwich hey um i'm gonna talk about the negatives of this movie because as great as this movie is it is great it's not perfect (laughs) it's not perfect there's there's no way it's perfect and you know talking about the gwen stacy um peter parker thing real quick the only time I don't like that relationship is when he turns into Tobey Maguire at the end of the movie and just doesn't show up to her dad's funeral. Like this Peter Parker would have talked to her about this. Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker would have just not talked to anybody about anything going on and just not been there. You know what I mean? That I felt I felt was a weird choice to not have him explain what her dad said as, as opposed to just shutting her out. You know, I, I don't love that. You know what I mean? But we do get that great moment at the end of the movie where – he told you to stay away, didn't she? Because she's not dumb, you know? Right. She knows. Um, anyway, I digress. Think about this, like, walking outside through a comic book movie door, right? Where the inside is that 80s, 90s, campy thing that we don't love. And the outside is that modern MCU tone that has worked for 30 straight movies, okay? I think the Raimi-verse had one foot outside the door heading in that direction where the rest of the body was left in the 80s and 90s campy comic book tropey stuff. But it did have one foot out the door heading the right way. This movie, I think, has most of its body outside the door with one foot left in. There are things in this movie that are hanging on to the Raimi-verse old-school comic book tropes that I do think drag this movie down pretty significantly just overall. It's a great movie, but like when comparing it to other Spider-Man movies, I think it does drag it down a bit. You know, there are things... The basketball scene, too much, too much, right? The the song choice when he's doing the Peter Parker thing, discovering his powers. Why? That's Sony, right? Um, the pretty much everything about the lizard in the second half. You know, the gasp, the 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 biotoxin plot, the big blue thing in the sky. Why is he? The motivations of the villain. You know what I mean? Those aren't caught up to speed yet in 2012. Um, and then also the goddamn cranes, <laughs> like, like we're watching this movie, me and Aaron, she's seeing it for the first time ever. She's laughing <laughs> at the cranes moving over the street and all that stuff. So, um, I do think as great as this movie is, like I said earlier, when it's good, it's great. I do think it has bits and pieces that it's hanging on to the past and not ready to fully dive into this gritty, realistic world that it's built. And 
because the movie feels so realistic and grounded in this new Spider-Man tone, when those campy moments come up, I feel like they shine through in a really bad way. So that's my biggest, you know, negative on this movie is that when it's when it's good, it's great. When it's bad, I think it's really bad in a contrast kind of way. Interesting. I, I hear I hear most of what you're saying. Um, the crane stuff I'll excuse just because I like the moment surrounding it. Um, See Thomas Howe. You know, if it yeah, if it wasn't if it if it was just them, you know, pivoting to ensure he had a direct route, I would be like, eh. But the fact that he's also struggling with a bullet wound too. And he's like, <laughs> it's it's kind of his come on Spider-Man moment of, you know, I got to power through here. I, you know, injuries, like forget about it. You know, if you get hurt, walk it off. Uh, what's the cap line? Uh, if you get oh, hurt, uh, you get, get hurt. Yeah. Wait, hold on. What is it? It's, it's something. Says, and then he, if you get killed, walk, walk it, off. it off. Yes. I don't know what the first half is, but he's, He's powering through that moment. So for me, I can excuse the the convenience of the crane stuff, but I agree. The the lizard stuff is a little little wacky, a little, little weird. And uh, the one thing that I will push back on with the Gwen Stacy stuff of him just ghosting her per se is I understand the reasoning because in order for it to not work, it's almost like he needs to step away completely because the conversation will inevitably have pushback and he might get roped back in. And, you know, it doesn't really matter because he does end up getting roped back in at the end of the movie, as it's implied. But I understand the mentality of like, I can't see you, period. Because if I do see you, the feelings are going to come back and I'm going to abandon the promise I made to your father on his deathbed. So I I see that it's like, you know, where did this come from, Peter Parker? This is a Tobey Maguire type thing. But looking into his head as to why he made those decisions and as a viewer kind of making excuses for the character decision i i'll i'll say it verbatim i i understand where he's coming from i agree with you i think on paper it makes sense it's just i don't think that this peter parker that we just that's another you know like it's almost too good right because we got to know this peter parker so well you know we really got to know this kid that's why I don't think he would make that decision where if we didn't get to know him as well, I think I would be able to mentally connect those thoughts a little more. If you get hurt, hurt him back. If you get killed, walk it off. There it is. Age of Ultron, baby. It's so <laughs> good. So good. Liam, your last big takeaway for the amazing Spider-Man. My last big takeaway, you know, three for three on positives because Matt really touched on, on any of the negatives that I would have brought up. This movie is what a reboot should be. It's not a perfect reboot, but it's what a reboot should be. And what I mean by that is Spider-Man. You know, we've been infused with so much Spider-Man content in the 21st century between three live action franchises, countless animated projects as well, and more on the way. But this movie takes the idea of Spider-Man and puts enough unique spin on it that it feels different in a good way. And I point to that beyond him shifting from being a nerd to more of a loner to him being kind of a cooler Peter Parker than like a geeky Peter Parker to him being a more quippier Spider-Man even for people will will write off the suit and it it is probably one of the worst ones we've seen in live action but it's different and I appreciate it because for this kind of color palette that Mark Webb is going for I think it works and I'll point to one scene in particular that made me really appreciate them trying to put a unique spin on a property that at this time 
had already seen three live action movies. It's when he's running away from, from Captain Stacy and he gets shot and he pulls himself up over the ledge on one of the buildings. And the camera stops for just enough time for the viewer to recognize the one frame. And it's when he puts his hand down, hand away, and there's a blood print left. And I'm like, that's a moment that makes me realize it's a different kind of Spider-Man movie. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not afraid to, obviously, Tobey Maguire gets pretty bloodied up. But the first 2002 Spider-Man movie, people turn into skeletons and, and, and collapse into dust. And it, it's campy and it's silly. This is sleep. visceral. Yeah, sleep. <laughs> exactly. This movie is visceral in the perfect amount of ways. It makes me fear for Spider-Man in a way that the Raimi trilogy wanted to do, but the campiness surrounding the execution made it hard to buy in. I was scared for Andrew Garfield's safety at many times in this movie, even knowing a sequel is, is already made and we're watching it next week. Like, that's awesome to me. So this movie, it's not a perfect reboot by any means, but it's what all reboots should strive to be in being true to the character, but putting enough unique spin on it to earn your box office dollar. I agree. I think that, I think that, you know, a lot of the problems with this movie I have are reactions to the Raimi trilogy. You know what I mean? Like that movie was so the Raimi trilogy was so heightened. It was so over the top. It was so 60s comic book style, which is the choice that he made that they almost overcorrected to, you know, this movie can get a little too melodramatic every now and again. You know, the emo Spider-Man is great, but it can get a little too emo every now and again. I think that nobody's going to have a problem with that. I think, you know, going off your point real quick, it really learned a lot from the dark Knight, as far as like, this is going to be our gritty Spider-Man. And you know, that's, that's funny to say just because, I mean, let's be honest, the the captain Stacy stuff is just a dark Knight ripoff. Like, you know, they're, they're going to hate you. <laughs> they're going to mm -hmm. hate you, but you know, you got to be here. I believe in you all that stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty funny, but um, I, I agree that it just had a visceral tone that, like I said, that's the all the way out the door into the modern day MCU. I just think that the foot hanging back is some of the story beats. Really, it's just Lizard. You know, that's that's a Raimi villain at the end of the movie. After the first half of the movie, Kurt Connors, what an amazing character, right? Like, and he just turns into this biotech villain. The Lizard doesn't need to be a bio, biotech villain. It needs to be more visceral, like you're saying. I think it needs to kill a couple people. And that's enough reason for Peter Parker to go out there and get him. You know, so... But I agree with you. I think the tone of this movie is perfect for the movie. You know, if you don't like the tone, fine, but this movie sticks to it. And I love that about it. Um, and, and another thing I want to add into the, the unique spin that they put on it, a lot of people will write this movie off when, I, when they hear that statement. They're going to point to what people write off Iron Man 3 for, where they hate the Mandarin twist, and that means they automatically hate the movie. Sure. You can look at this movie as, at surface level and go, the, the Uncle Ben scene is beat for beat the same scene from uh, 2002's uh, Spider-Man, just with like location changes and the guy who kills him is different and all that. But like literally the death, the fact that Peter could have stopped it, blah, blah, blah. That mm -hmm. is an exact reboot. But I love the fact that in his backstory, you know, we'll see, we'll, we'll touch on it next week, but the integration of the parent storyline, I think is so awesome. Like, I think it's a great concept to work in Peter's parents because the, the Raimi trilogy didn't even touch on it. And I know in certain comics that they do include uh, the Ben Parker, not Ben Parker. What's his dad's Richard name? Parker. Richard Parker. The Richard Parker stuff. I think I, I loved that concept. And that 
that very concept is what made me skip a baseball game in 2014. So I could see TASM two on opening night. Like I was so invested in the, the parent concept and that unique spin is, is what makes this, what a reboot should be. It, it's taking the origin story and not changing it, but adding a new layer to it. Yeah. Surely they won't fumble the parent storyline. Right? No, no. And I believe in them. Yeah. Yeah. That's not <laughs> going to go completely sideways and unnecessary. My last take, here's the big one. You know what I mean? Here's what people showed up for, right? Um, if you take out the qualifier of nostalgia, I said earlier that that's the best Spider-Man scene we've seen so far. Not even a question for me. From a critical view, this is the best Spider-Man so far in this rewatch. Oh. Easily. Easily. As great as Spider-Man 2 is, it's great because it has great moments. This is a good movie through and through it has bad moments sure but overall good movie spider-man 2 great not good great moments overall okay at best as a movie as a movie you know what i'm saying this is a better movie and i love these characters so there's the comic book thing such an amazing origin story and the reason that you know the, if, if your critique on this movie is, well, the Uncle Ben thing was shot for shot and, you know, oh, we've already seen that. That's not this movie's fault. You know, if, if, if this movie was made first, it would have been incredible. You know what I mean? There is no critique. If we don't have the Raimi, the Raimi trilogy creates critiques in this movie. And I think that's a big statement to how much better this movie is, I think. Um, here's a list of things beyond the story, not just the story they're telling, because the story in the Raimi trilogy I, I can see you saying that's a better story than the story they're telling here. Sure. Here's a list of things from a production standpoint that in comparison to the Raimi trilogy, I think that the TASM, this movie has tenfold better than the Raimi trilogy. The acting. Is there any way that anybody says that the acting is worse here than it is in the Raimi trilogy? No chance. It's impossible. It's impossible to say that chemistry. Between not just not just Peter and Gwen, all the characters, every single character that talks to each other, the chemistry better than the Raimi trilogy, the dialogue, the writing. Oh, my God. It's not even that this is like amazingly great. I think the acting makes the dialogue better here. The Raimi trilogy is just bad. And I think that this laps it. Character development. You know, who am I? I'm Spider-Man. That starts three straight movies in the Raimi trilogy. <laughs> this is a true character development piece, and we're going to get more of it next week. That's one of the good things about Tasm 2, the character development. And then this is the best of Spider-Man stuff. This, the best parts of Spider-Man are here, and it boils down to his relationship with Captain Stacy. He has a relationship with him as Peter Parker. He has a relationship with him as Spider-Man. And they combat each other. And it's, and it's always back and forth. It's conflicting. And it's everything Spider-Man should be in this movie. For all the problems I do have with this movie, just from a choices standpoint, you know, like it, it, it just doesn't match some of the other stuff in the movie. Everything that's good about this movie, I think, is great. And I cannot say that even a little bit about any of the Raimi movies. Talk to him. Talk that talk, Matt Remke. I, I, nothing you said was lost on me whatsoever. This, as, as much as I, I love the funness that is Spider-Man three, I had a better time watching this movie. I, I was smiling ear to ear. I was borderline tears in certain moments. 
And I got chills, man, when he's swinging through New York City. That that 2012 CGI goes a long way. It also helps. It also helps that it was at night for most of the swing scenes. But sure. still, yeah, so fluid, so nice. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. Like I was getting, I was getting chills. I was getting chills at certain scenes during this movie. Can't really say the same um, for anything from the Raimi trilogy, except quite a bit of moments from the third act uh but I, i'm not i'm not afraid to admit that's nostalgia that's the yeah. nostalgia kick and that's okay i'm not saying you're wrong for liking those movies more because it is nostalgia but if you if you take out nostalgia there's no competition here nostalgia is the best part of the Raimi trilogy yeah the tasm trilogy doesn't have that it can't have that therefore i think you need to remove it from the situation and I think it's a night and day. So let's go over some of our favorite and least favorite moments throughout the movie. Liam, do you got a couple scenes you want to shout out? Yeah, the uh, when he reveals to Gwen uh, that he's Spider-Man, when he shows, doesn't tell. It's fantastic. Him swinging through New York City uh, at the very end. Not even just the, the swings, but it, it's the barrel rolls. It's the flips. It's the little things like that that just make it so much more than just him kind of swinging by, which... I think I, if I remember correctly, most of the Toby Spider-Man is just him kind of swinging. Uh, this Andrew Spider-Man is a lot more acrobatic, which I very much welcome as a nice way to put another unique spin on it, adding to the idea that this is what a reboot should be. Just making those little twists in the smallest of moments, they go a long way. Yeah. Um, and beyond that, um, I, I really dig uh, the scenes at Oscorp. I think Oscorp feels a lot bigger in this franchise than it did in the Raimi trilogy. Uh, it feels a lot more suspicious with, with how they operate, which is how they're supposed to operate in the comics. Um, yeah, and, and uh, Reese Ifans, I think, delivers a very underrated performance as Dr. Kurt Connors because we talk about in, I remember one of my takes from the first Spider-Man movie was that Willem Dafoe was like the only person that bought into the role. Reese Ifans, you can tell, bought into this role and even when it does get a little campy and cartoony he still sticks with the same amount of energy which i very very much appreciate from from a viewer standpoint because we recognize this get a little silly but the fact that the actor's like hey i'm here for it it Mm -hmm. it it calms a lot of the silliness that should come off on screen yeah i i couldn't agree more um i think that the problem with the lizard character isn't anything Reese Ifus does or anything the lizard does, really. He doesn't need to become this world-ending threat. He doesn't need to become this biotech villain. He just needs to be a lizard. You know, it, yeah. the movie was so grounded for so long that it just ramped up to the big blue thing in the sky. Um, a lot of my favorite scenes and least favorite scenes, not least favorite scenes, a lot of my favorite scenes just come from the acting that this has. Showing that Peter Parker is smart, not telling us that he's smart. You know, like the Raimi trilogy did a lot of things that told us Peter Parker was smart just because other people said how smart he was. But here, you know, he's just fixing the water pump in the basement and he knows exactly how to do it. And he knows exactly what's going on without even having to look into it. A smart kid. And and, and it helps you buy it along the way. Um, when he tells Uncle Ben that he's good dad, that's some of the best acting you'll see in a Spider-Man movie. It really is. It's just one second. And it's not, it's not even just, you know, that he says it. It's Martin Sheen's reaction. Just thanks. You know what I mean? Like it's perfect. Right. And obviously, you know, that gets a little out of hand. Peter, you're my hero. And I love you. He just went on a walk, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> like let's, let's scale it back a little bit, but still that line, it hits, right? Like that's chills. You're my hero. And I love you. Like, come on. That's great. Um, uh, you mentioned Peter, keep listening to the voicemail too. So oh. good. 
um <laughs> civil war um <laughs> uh you mentioned the the school fight i like i think it's really cool that's a con that's that's the Raimi stuff that shines through in a good way i think the school fight um really awesome great stanley cameo um the uh other thing i want to point out as a negative for this movie what was i gonna say i lost it whatever um yeah so you know i think overall this is a really great movie i think that um it's definitely not without fault there's a lot of problems with this movie but they're they're the problems are overshadowed by, by amazing acting and amazing chemistry and characters that we love as opposed to the Raimi trilogy where i think the great moments are overshadowed by let's find some shade hot legs tally ho and uh yeah boy yeah or uh what is it oh boy yeah oh boy yeah yeah, you know what I mean? Like, like those are moments that stop the movie in their tracks. Whereas this, it's more just like, I mean, okay, but it could have been better. You know what I'm saying? Like, the problems could have been better, whereas the problems with the Raimi trilogy are just flat out bad. Um, so here you are. There it is. That's The Amazing Spider-Man. And uh, what a great movie. And I'm excited to talk about The Amazing Spider-Man 2 because, Liam, there's no way they fumble this, right? There's no chance. They're on no the goal line. No way. They have such a great start here. I can't wait to see where we go next. And speaking of where we're going next, speaking of what, where the direct podcast is going next, Liam, you got a chance to talk to, I'll say it, a superstar. He is a superstar indeed. He's won over the hearts of everyone worldwide with his performance as Karun in Eternals. Please welcome my interview with Harish Patel himself. In a film filled with tricksters, speedsters, and borderline gods, one ordinary man stole the hearts of audiences worldwide. He may not have laser beam eyes or super strength, but he's got courage. Liam Crowley of The Direct here with the valiant valet, Karun himself, from Eternals, Mr. Harish Patel. Harish, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, my pleasure, and first of all, my uh, namaskar to all the viewers. Uh... Uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, I'm happy you all have seen the film and uh, yeah. <laughs> We've all seen the film and we're all just overjoyed with emotion with your character specifically and your character, Karun, has had this cult following on social media as of late. Fans are begging to see more of your character. They want spinoff shows on Disney+. Plus. I just kind of want to get your overall reaction. What has this overwhelming support meant to you personally? Uh, well, actually, I was prepared for it, you know, because, uh, yeah, you yeah, have to tell you why, because uh, when uh, Chloe, she had uh, one golden globe for the best director. So that time I had sent her a mail congratulating her for, uh, you know, for winning the award. And she had replied. And in that reply, she had clearly mentioned that Karun is a fan, fan favorite. And uh, I, I can't wait for you to watch the film. So, uh, I mean, when I read it, so it, it made me actually think something. So, because uh, Chloe is saying it, the director of the film, and uh, I had, uh, uh, I mean, all, all my faith on her, you know, I was in her hands. And uh, uh, so I was a sort of, actually, I was uh, prepared for this. But when I actually, of course, I, I was... Uh, uh, I mean, I had tears in my eyes also because uh, this is not only from uh, here in USA, but from India also, my God. What I'm, the response, what I'm getting is mind-blowing. 
uh, it is, uh, I, I mean, you know, when I, uh, when I appear on screen in India, uh, people are whistling, they are clapping. And of course, then uh, uh, they are with me there because of emotional uh, con uh, contact also, maybe. That's that's really wonderful to hear. Seriously, it's been it's been a wild ride to see some of these characters from different Marvel films, the ones audiences take a liking to. And your character, oh man, people are asking for so much more Karun after <laughs> this film, they can't get enough of you. And one thing that they're asking for in particular is the elusive Karun cut of the Kingo documentary. A producer, Nate Moore, has teased on social media that you filmed a lot of footage that didn't make its way into the film. I'm just curious, do you think that there's any chance we do eventually see Karun's full uncut documentary of Kingo's journey? Oh, well, I would love it. I would love to see it. I would, because I was, I was filming it. I, I was actually filming it, you know, the whole thing. I, I was, and uh, I mean, the kind of uh, team I was with, working with, uh, I, it is all because of them. I always say that, you know, no actor is greater than the script and then the director and, and the whole team, you know, because the material we should get and then we can perform. We should have a director. I mean, and I am like a puppet in the hands of director. I read the script and I never ever think what to change in the script. No, not my job. I, I don't work that way. Because writer has been writing for maybe for months or years. And then the director is there. So they have thought of what to do. They have seen the film. They have seen all the characters, whereas an, an actor sees only his character. He thinks only about himself, you know. So so uh, what I'm trying to say, uh, when I was filming uh, uh, Cersei, uh, Gemma Chen, mm -hmm. and I, 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 was, I was actually uh, supposed to be filming her uh, interview kind, and I, I'm looking at... Uh, uh, I'm uh, at the uh, viewfinder, you know, on my ca camera, and uh, the, the take was okay. Uh, it was very good, and I was also happy. Like, but uh, Joshua, the the photographer, mm -hmm. he he told me, uh, he told me, Harish, was the viewfinder working? I was shocked. I was really shocked. I said, no, no, it was not. He said, I could make out that Harish because. Because uh, it 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 felt he felt that I'm not watching the film and I'm I'm just uh, uh, trying to be an uh, over smart actor. <laughs> tell you frankly, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, I immediately remembered, my God, you cannot cheat the camera, as we all say, you can't cheat camera. And thanks to Joshua, thanks to him. Uh, because he saw it, you know, he was filming me mm -hmm. and I was filming uh, uh, Cersei. And, and I was like, I, uh, as in our Indian tradition, I really wanted to touch his feet to show <laughs> my respect. Yes, because see, he was doing his job behind the camera and he was so sharp. He, he, was, he was so, so uh, focused. Uh, he could immediately uh, catch me. Whereas I knew that uh, there is some problem with the viewfinder and I can't see the film. Uh, it, it had disconnected or something like, but I was uh, trying to uh, be like, okay, as if I'm watching it, I'm, uh, it, there is nothing wrong, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, hey, the respect you have for your for your crew members is truly admirable for someone like you who's so accomplished in film in general. I know you may be new to American audiences, but you've been working in Bollywood for four oh, yes. decades. So to see yes. um, how much admiration you have for, for the people behind the scenes, uh, it's truly respectable. I did kind of want to go back to even before cameras started rolling, the, the casting process in general. Marvel's kind of a different beast when it comes to filling their roles. You know, everything's so secretive and they might give you fake scripts. I know originally uh, one of the producers or screenwriters was saying that uh, the valet role was originally going to be Gilgamesh. Don Lee was going to fill in the role for Kingo. I'm curious, in your casting process, was that ever brought up or were you just kind of going in blind to this new character of Karun? Uh, uh, no, I, I don't know about this. Uh, I have no idea about it because I was um, approached through my agent, of course, in UK. And uh, then I was given the script and what script I read, the sides, what we call, you know, the sides, mm -hmm. what I read were not in the film at all. <laughs> and even the name was different. It was not Karun. I'm forgetting what my name was. It's two years now. So so then uh, I, I taped it and um, uh, 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 my son and daughter, the, uh, my daughter is here in the USA and uh, the, she was there at that time in Mumbai. So they both were actually, you know, uh, reading the other part and I, I was doing my part and then uh, the tape was sent and then I was called just uh, a week before the shooting was starting. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was actually uh, informed two weeks before. But, you know, the festivals were going on in India. Uh -huh. So the, the consulate was not working and uh, it was raining also heavily. So I was like, my God, how will I get my visa? Because I have to have my visa to go to London for final audition. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was just... I, I'll say destiny that I could reach in time because I was informed also that if I don't report by 6th of September, then uh, sorry, we cannot, uh, that they, they cannot because they had to start filming from 16th of September. Oh, wow. But I, I got visa. I was there and I, I reached there and Chloe was there and uh, Kumel, Kumel was also there and Joshua was uh, uh, filming. He was. Uh, and uh, the, the, the audition was like family, as if I, I was, I didn't realize that I'm final auditioning for final uh, uh, this, you know, and uh, it, it was just do this. And uh, in fact, uh, Chloe gave me everything about the character. She told me everything about the character that time only. And I just followed it. I just followed it. I had. Uh, like it was, I fixed it in my computer here. And uh, yeah, and when, when I was rehearsing also, uh, uh, Joshua was there, he was continuously filming me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I looked at him also like, you know, and I'm, I was, I was doing all kinds of nonsense. <laughs> right. But, well, yeah. That that's that's really wonderful to hear, especially because like the stars seem to just perfectly align for you to be in this film. You mentioned in an interview I saw, I believe it was on NBC News, um, that your your family's reaction to your casting and how you hadn't really seen any Marvel movies before. And your grandson, I saw, thought you were playing Captain America. Can you kind of elaborate to me uh, on your family's reaction to this casting news? Uh, yes, uh, 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 I have not seen actually any uh, this uh, Eternal is the first ever film 
of MCU I have uh, watched, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, all other films uh, I have uh, never. But I have heard about Hulk, have, of course, Spider Man and all. But but never actually I sat and uh, saw the full film. But uh, all the youngsters, you know, uh, they know the they know history of mm-hmm. each and every character. You know, your Thor, uh, uh, Thor. No, you pronounce or Thanos and and what you know all those Captain America and also my uh, four year old uh, my grandson uh, his name is Yuvraj mm-hmm. he was told that uh, Dadu means grandpa that Dadu is being selected to do a Marvel film and so he immediately reacted like Marvel. So, so then he told me, Dadu, are you going to play Captain America? <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, I said, my God, he knows it. And I have no idea about it. <laughs> this is what actually, but it is with a, every youngster in India. They all know about it. They, you know, I, I was in a, marriage, a wedding. Uh, and uh, there they asked me what else you are doing. So I told them that I just finished working with Eternals. So they said, Eternals, I've, we have not heard about this film still. And immediately they were actually on their mobile and, oh, yes, that film is coming. So what role? And But they knew everything. They, they, they knew everything about uh, in 1970, this comic book was there. And oh, yeah. oh, I was just looking at them and I said, my God, when I was filming, I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. The the fandom around these oh, movies. Fan, are... fan of MCU. Oh my, yes. That was, it, that's why I, I can't be, uh, believe actually. I'm so lucky. It is I'm, truly special. I, I'm, I'm 68 now and at this age of, uh, I have got MCU. I, I could work with MCU, with Marvel. So I'm really thankful to Kevin Feige or... Uh, 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 Nate and uh, Victoria and all those. Oh, oh, it was it was a family. It was great working. I, I yeah. actually I enjoy the process of uh, shooting, filming more than when after all when you watch the film. Even first time when I'm I, I'm watching the film, I'm remembering the location. Mm-hmm. I can smell the location. You know. Yeah. The the whole atmosphere. Uh, this is what is, uh, I mean, I feel whenever I see any film. That's really cool, especially because with, with movies in general, um, that the memories you have of filming on set are forever immortalized. They're never going to go away because they're actually yes. pr- published in the actual film. I didn't want to circle back to something you mentioned at the beginning about uh, the family aspect of auditions. And in terms of Eternals, which acts as a family, you know, the whole ensemble, your kind of brother in this film, I would say, is Kingo. And, you know, you have basically every time you're on screen, you're sharing the screen with Camille Nanjiani. I'm curious about your relationship with Camille uh, offset. Did you guys have a, a, as strong of a bond off screen as you did on screen? And did you have any fun stories you'd like to share? Oh, uh, yes, uh, we, we uh, I mean, you know, because uh, on the set, we, we, were, we are so busy. And he was, uh, he, he, he was more in discussing the role and everything. And uh, uh, so, uh, uh, I, I, uh, but we were very helpful to each other. Like, you know, he, he knew that uh, I'm, my English is not good, like, because I've studied in vernacular medium and then suddenly 
I'm supposed to be speaking in English and all. So somewhere I, I'm a sort of I'm not very, uh, what do you call it, uh, colloquial uh, uh, with the language because uh, it, it, it depends on my thinking. I'm thinking in my native language, Hindi, and translating, translating it in English and talking to you. <laughs> you know, this is this is what happens some many many a times. So, so he, they all were very, very, very helpful because they knew that uh, uh, Harish is uh, uh, from India and uh, uh, not from English medium. So, uh, and uh, so it was a fun. And of course, Kumail was always there to help me. He was always. I, I was. I really enjoyed him uh, when I saw him dancing. Mm -hmm. uh, in a Bollywood, uh, <laughs> that it was a fun. It was fun, great. It was. That's awesome to hear. And hey, when you mention um, the, the the aspect of translating in your head between your native language and the language you're trying to speak in this film, I can empathize with that a lot because I'm uh, at at university. I studied Spanish, and okay. it's, it's it's my minor. So whenever I speak Spanish in my head, I'm translating uh -huh. in real time, and it's it's very intimidating when you're talking with a native speaker because you want to catch up and you want to be as active with them as possible. So when you say the, the active translation, I, I don't know, uh, I don't know other native tongues, but I do know a little bit of Spanish and like, I, I know exactly the mindset you're talking about there. Yes, that, that, that fluency, you know, that flow, sometimes it breaks, that, that flow breaks. Uh, but of course, when I'm on, on, on the floor, when so I know everything. I know all my lines. I know everything. So there was no confusion at all, you know. The only thing you can say that we have to work a little bit harder. That's all. Like you'll be, when now you know it, you'll be surprised to know that I have done Romeo and Juliet also. I played Friar Lawrence wow. on, on London's Shakespeare Globe Theatre. That's impressive. <laughs> yes, I've done that. Wow. And, and that again, again, I'll say it is all because of the director. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the director because he had faith in say faith in me, I could do it. It is as simple as that. And you know, David Kramer was the director, and he called me. We were talking on Facebook in India. He called. He he came on Facebook. He he told me that I want you to cast you for this role because he had seen a play of mine. In 2007, uh, which I did for Royal National Theatre London in 2007, that was uh, Rafta Rafta. Uh, in that play, he had seen me. So he contacted me to do Friar Lawrence in 2017. He, say, he said, I had seen you in that play, Harish, and I wanted somehow that I, I must work, uh, we must work together, like, you know. So uh -huh. uh, these are the things which brings tears to your eyes, bring tears to your eyes, uh, you know, and kept, uh, first time when I did this play, after after for two and a half hours, I was in front of English audience, talking in English for two and a half hours, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, being the main lead in the play, mm -hmm. but, uh, so uh, after, uh, when the play was over, I went to my make uh, makeup room and uh, I couldn't imagine. I said, my God, this much two and a half hours English, I wouldn't have spoken till today in my whole life. <laughs> you yeah. know, the play won Sir Lawrence Olivier Award for the best new comedy, 2007. Mm -hmm. Yes, 
Yes, that's, that's that's amazing to hear. I love yeah. hearing about the the stage uh, accolades as well. Stage beyond. is my first love. Oh yeah, stage is my first. I'm still itching to be on stage. It's been 2017, three four years. Mm -hmm. I've not been on stage. I must. I must go on stage. Well, hey, we'll be I looking out perform. for it. Hmm? We'll be we'll be looking out for it. Oh, please! I would love to. For sure. Um, another actor that you shared the screen with uh, very oftentimes, Angelina Jolie. And the reason uh, yeah. why uh, I bring that name up is because you are probably the most experienced actor on set, but Angelina is not too far behind. She has like three yes. decades of filmography yes. credits yes. to her name. Yes. Did you share any any special moments with Angelina uh, offset? Oh, yes. Uh, first time when we met in that, uh, there was a, a, a meeting with all the actors. Uh, with Chloe, uh, Chloe's uh, uh, suite uh, where where we were staying actually, so that time I met her and uh, we had discussed about this. Uh, about she uh, she was talking about Tina and uh, because there were some uh, interactions with uh, uh, my character also uh, of Tina, so we just discussing. I was looking at her. Uh, that's all. I mean, you know, I was oh my god. I, I, I'm with Angelina Jolie, uh, though I had, I had I had not seen her films also. You know, I I mean uh, because uh, what happens uh, sometimes actually uh, if, uh, if I don't understand the lines because uh, the, it is American English and was so fluently, so I get disconnected. So then you lose interest in the film. This, uh, but that's why I see. Uh, I've seen Godfather about 25 times. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. A film like uh, Fiddler on the Room, again, 25, 30 times. And of course, we have seen all the Mackinac's Golds and Where, Where Eagles There and uh, Twelve Angry Men. All those films I've, I've watched, actually. And uh, I've loved uh, those. But I've, uh, I had to see those films about five, five, ten, ten times. And then I understood. Luckily, we are getting now dubbed versions also. Mm -hmm. of the film so it is actually good for people like me and then I can first I watch it in uh, our native language and then in English so I understand uh, I, I, I like it more you can say sure yeah but and it makes, is not that difficult now actually it used to be at that time now uh -huh. since I have worked a lot in UK also and uh, so it is not that difficult now as it used to be my god in 2007, when I did play Uma, that yeah. was yeah with uh, uh, yeah my first uh, uh, project was in '92 mm -hmm. with Gaup Suburbia by Hanif Qureshi, mm -hmm. book novel which was directed by Roger Michel, who had directed um, um, Notting Hill also. You Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. That, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, with uh, that time, I was my God. It was very difficult for me, and he gave me this much book. This book, this uh, yeah, and I, I looked at the book. I oh my God, you want me to read that? Uh -huh. said, no, please tell me my role only. That's all. <laughs> I can't read it. <laughs> if I read it, I'll run away. I'll run. I, I'll go back to India. <laughs> <laughs> So I did want to ask more about your character of Karun with a character that has such implied backstory off screen. You know, he's been with Kingo throughout the decades. He's been with multiple iterations of Kingo, it sounds like. 
did you kind of fill in the gaps anywhere in terms of just mentally preparing for this role? And then when it comes to knowing the history of the Eternals, how did you prepare to be the human who's heard the stories but hasn't met the Eternals themselves yet? Uh, uh, because uh, uh, it is there he, uh, that uh, the relationship, the kind of uh, camaraderie uh, is uh, Kingo and uh, Karun has. Uh, and Karun has actually told him everything about Eternals. It is there in the script. And, uh, and, and I actually read script uh, maybe 100 times or, you know, because I, I find everything there in the script itself. So it was clear that uh, he has, to, uh, Kingo has actually told him everything about Eternals. And he knows about it and he knows that he is eternal. So somewhere he knows, uh, uh, Karun knows that Eternals are very loving people. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, are, they, are, they are very caring, they are very loving. Uh, they are caring and they are normal like human beings. This and is what... So, uh, yeah, so throughout in the 50 years I'm with him, I had always, uh, always taken it. I know my job, uh, what I have to do, because he's a moody, uh, being a star, being a film actor and all. He's a, he'll be moody, you know, so I know how to handle him. <laughs> uh, being polite with him, calming him down, uh, always actually uh, ready with anything for him. There is... Uh, uh, like I tell you, actually, it, it is like uh, he's so, um, uh, I mean, you know, friendly with uh, Kingo. Karun is so, and he, they have such a relation uh, that uh, if, uh, suppose, as uh, Karun has this, uh, Kingo, uh, Kumail, Kumail has said, you know, that he couldn't dance and, you know, he was very, uh, uh, this about dancing. Uh -huh. So as as Karun, I was even ready to replace him and dance in, uh, instead of him. <laughs> hey, here's hoping we see that in the Karun. Cut. Oh yes, yes. Karun was ready to replace actually Kingo and dance uh, in, in instead of him. So this is what the, the kind of relationship they, they both have. I love that you guys are. You guys have such a brotherhood. That's really really neat. Um, one line that stuck out to a lot of fans was when Don Lee Gilgamesh mentions, oh, your valet, your butler. Oh, like Alfred from Batman, right? And that kind of sent fans into a spiral because, you know, we're referencing superheroes from a different universe. I'm just curious. I know that you're not a big uh, Marvel fan before this um, in terms of watching the movies, but are you familiar with Batman and Alfred? And did you take any kind of inspiration from their dynamic for the Karun and Kingo relationship? Uh, uh, no, I, I can say one thing that, of course, I, I mean, I know they are superheroes. They have superpower. So maybe it Batman and all, uh, I mean, the degree of power, whether they have more than Batman or Spider-Man and all, that is no. But he knows that they are the real superheroes. So they are above actually all Batman and uh, the, the Spider or, you know, all the other superheroes. So, because Eternals, nobody can be as powerful as Eternals. Because he says that, how can I leave the... I want to see the original superheroes save the world. Uh, so, this is where my... You, you know, it is there in my uh, dialogues also. My character is there in my dialogues. Though, actually, in front of Eternals and with so many, actually, uh, powerful uh, superheroes around him, <laughs> he is a bit shaky also. 
because they are all moody they are very different they they get angry also very fast like you say uh, as he says uh, uh, when um, uh, gilgamesh he looks at me and he say who the hell are you that time i was <laughs> i was really <laughs> my legs were shaking actually you know when druig he comes towards me and uh, he looks at me <laughs> with you know i was really feeling giddy i i to tell i told him also i i told barry barry you know i was really i mean i felt as if the, the whole world is circling around me it, it was so they 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 were so much into their roles Harish, thank you again so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I mentioned at the top the overwhelming support you've had from fans. Here's your chance right now to tell the fans directly how much uh, everything has meant to you. The floor is yours. Ah, uh, I mean now I I have no words to say anything. I'm only I can say that you all you all have made me so happy. Thank you very much for liking me and uh, I I need your love. i i i needed it very badly and you have given me that and i'm so happy so happy i can't say i mean i don't know how to say thank you very much to you all so so i'll say in my language dhanyawad like i say in uh, eternal also i am mai aap sabka bahut bahut aabhari hu thank you very much i can't forget I, this experience in my life you know this this i never I, i never expected i've been saying this but yes now i'm expect i mean i i never believed it i'm saying actually but i'm believing it now i'm believing and enjoying it and same way you all also enjoy and please tell all those who have not seen the film tell them to go see the film and like me okay <laughs> thank you very much Harish, thank you so much for taking the time to chat yeah. today. Go see Eternals if you haven't already, and here's hoping for a Karun cut of Kingo's documentary in the near future. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Patel. We loved your performance, and we love you in the MCU. We hope to see more of you. Um, and speaking of people, we hope to see more of. That's something MCU has done a lot of, right? They introduce these side characters that you know just you know have little moments of greatness and. fans leave a movie saying man i hope we see more of that guy or man we i hope we see more of that gal and uh now we're here in phase 4 of the MCU where a lot of those side characters are getting major shine in a really great way and it's all coming back 30 projects and so me and Liam are going to do something we haven't done in a very long time we're going to do what the internet does best and make a list ladies and gentlemen welcome to direct list where today we will be making a list of the best supporting characters in the Marvel Cinematic universe i know what you're asking what qualifies as supporting character let me tell you i'm going to tell him let me tell him i'm going to go tell him any character who's not a sidekick or a villain obviously or a main character is a supporting character so no bad guys no bad guys henchmen no sidekicks like no falcons no wandas etc these are side characters you know people who are friends of heroes you know what i mean that kind of thing so liam let's start it off who are the best supporting characters in the long line of supporting characters in the mcu we're going off with one who just went nuts on on socials earlier this year people forget about it it was kind of a moment in time on tiktok mr james e woo that's jimmy right. woo james e woo We all we all fuck with the woo. We we love the woo. James uh James. I I say James. James. Jimmy. James. <laughs> yeah. It's a masterpiece James. No, but yeah. Jimmy Woo. 
uh, is fantastic. Uh, I thought he was he was good in Ant Man and the Wasp. He would not have made this list if not for WandaVision. He was fan freaking tastic throughout every episode he was in. He was a scene stealer. He was so good that a fan entertained the idea of doing an X-Files-esque Marvel Studios Disney Plus show centered around Jimmy Woo solving some of the MCU's greatest mysteries, even on a small scale. And Marvel Studios, as far as we know, has at least entertained the possibility. They want this guy who was just tossing something around on Twitter to write a potential pilot script and see how things would go. Like that's, that's how well Jimmy Wu is performing both in front of the camera for fans and behind the scenes for executives. I think he is a shoe in to be number one on this list, even though we're not ranking them, you know, it's, it's, it's a collective list. I think he deserves to be an early name mentioned though. hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Um, I loved him in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Tell me how you did it, Scott. Tell me how you did the card trick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's amazing i love him in a man of the wasp i thought he was a shining star in that and um i thought he was even more of a shining star when he showed up in wandavision you're forcing my hand a little bit because you know it just pairs together so well it's darcy lewis um a character that may have been annoying to a few people in the first thor and the second thor um but when she comes back in wandavision man steals the show immediately steals the show for the people outside the bubble the james e woo darcy lewis um, Monica Rambo combo is just amazing. And Darcy does so much of that right from that opening scene in WandaVision where she's in the truck and she's like, so who are you? Who are you? Who are you? We're not supposed to talk. Okay. You're not fun. And, and she, and she realizes she, that they got the team together. And then that guy who was a dick earlier was like, well, actually I'm this. And yeah. No one cares. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. come on. That's great. And, and I'll even go back to Thor one where, um, you know, when, when Chris Hemsworth starts running at him and Mark and Darcy bases him and, <laughs> And Natalie Portman's like, yeah, but Darcy Mason, she's like, yes, I did. And I love that. Um, great for you, Kat Dennings, for taking this character and really making something amazing of it. Um, you know, despite being in a couple more down movies on people's list, you still shine through and ended up in WandaVision in a really great way. Darcy Lewis, number two. And she's an absolute bright point of those down movies. I think that's the best part about a supporting character like this is that they can elevate a project that a lot of people have kind of soured on on over the years. And yeah, she was fantastic in WandaVision. She was a great, uh, honestly, 1B to Jimmy Woo's 1A. They, that pairing is something I really want to see more of. And that is one of the reasons why I'm so stoked for that Agatha Harkness spinoff show. It's because it gives us a way to re-enter the WandaVision realm without having a direct season two to such a perfect limited series. So very much a big fan of Darcy Lewis at number two. Uh, even though this character is not linked to WandaVision, it has the Ant-Man connection, just like Jimmy Woo, and I guess kind of like Darcy Lewis, now that she has been directly linked to Jimmy Woo. Uh, it's Luis. We all love Luis. He's the best quipper, I feel like, in, in terms of human characters. Maybe Spider-Man rivals him a little bit, but Michael Pena just brings such an energy to this character that people want to see more of. Uh, all the time and he is a scene stealer in both ant-man movies he's a character that i definitely want to see more of hopefully in other projects as he kind of adapts this like ex-con role if he has a business going on there's at least precedent for him to show up and interact with other characters and it's wild to me that such a human supporting side character with limited screen time is put into the conversation of oh, what if Luis interacted with Thor? What if Luis interacted with Korg? Like 
This dude is just a regular human being, but Michael Pena is so good at it that people are begging for him to interact with some of the biggest names in the MCU. And I think that's an absolute win for that performance. Couldn't agree more. If we were doing a draft, this would be the number one pick, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I think that Lewis Luis is not just a scene stealer. He's a movie stealer. Like Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, they are mid to bottom tier for me. Again, Captain America, the first Avengers 22. So, you know, what is bottom tier, right? Um, I think that people walk out of those movies. Those are comedies. Those are heist movies, heist comedy type movies. They talk about the the first thing people talk about when they talk about Ant-Man is Luis and those recaps and all that stuff. And, you know, something, last thing I'll say to speak on Luis I don't care if it's Endgame. I don't care if it's Spider-Man No Way Home. I don't care if it's Thor Ragnarok. Those are three epic, triumphant movies, right? That have a lot of amazing, epic, cinematic things going on. If Luis were to pop up at any moment in any of those movies, the theater would erupt. Erupt. A surprise cameo from Luis, played by Michael Pena, in any movie that's not Ant-Man, would have one of the biggest pops in the MCU. I believe that. You know what I mean? Any movie that's not Ant-Man, if he shows up, people are going to lose their minds. It's going to happen, and I cannot wait for it. So um, we've talked about Darcy and Jimmy, you know, the two most recent darlings of the supporting cast. We talked about Luis, who kind of, you know, really just elevated himself to the top of the list the moment he stepped on screen. So let's talk about the OG. Let's talk about the original. It's Happy Hogan. John Favreau's mm. Happy Hogan. He is a character that was such a back piece in the first movie got a little more integrated in the second movie but by iron man 3 you know, hey hey check that check the batch you know what i mean come on he's perfect he's great and i love him i love his relationship with tony i love his relationship with peter i love his relationship with aunt may and i love his relationship with pepper something that's a little underrated is the is the football scene from iron man 2 when he's smashing whiplash into the car look at john favreau's face he's like oh you want another one yeah come on <laughs> good and then and then you have all those amazing funny moments you have all those friendship moments with tony like yeah he doesn't like getting handed things i'll take that you know that kind of stuff he goes hey what we think about okay you got him and then you take all that charisma and charm that john favreau brings to everything bring it back to far from home the jet the quinjet scene that's incredible it really is like that i can tear up thinking about it like him and tom holland in that scene are perfect and i think that it really rounds out the happy hogan character and I hope we're not saying goodbye to in, in a month, but you know, it's on the table. It's on the table. He's a favorite. So there you go. It's a uh, happy Hogan, Luis Darcy and uh, uh, Jimmy Woo. So far we got two more left. Liam, who's your last entry on the list? Well, you mentioned happy Hogan being in Spider-Man far from home. Also in homecoming. I'm also going with another supporting character from the MCU Spider-Man series. It's Ned Leeds, guy in the chair. I love Ned Leeds. I love Jacob Batalon's performance because he knows he knows his role. Uh, and I, I don't mean that as like he's he knows his place per se, but he's the guy in the chair. He's the best friend. He doesn't try to one-up Tom Holland at any moment. He knows he's a two to Tom Holland's one in every scene they're in together. I think he plays it very wonderfully. Uh, the big thing that I'll write home about uh, Batalon's performance as Ned Leeds is the fact that a good supporting character, a good side character on this list, uh, Happy Hogan, I feel like is the most serious out of any of these guys that we've mentioned so far, but he is still fairly comedic and funny. A good side character has a lot of good comedy chops and Ned Leeds is genuinely funny. And I will never forget 
hysterically laughing at the what are you doing in in this room when he's at I was looking at porn porn <laughs> hilarious I lost my shit I thought I thought that was the funniest thing ever and it was so slow and drawn out but it it hit it hit home and yeah he's great in this performance uh Ned Leeds is a character that I hope I hope stays Ned Leeds for as long as possible. I know he goes into being the hobgoblin in the comics. I hope we don't lose the magic of the guy in the chair because he's yeah. that good. I, I agree. He is comedic relief anytime you need it. And I think that, you know, comedic relief in the MCU is something that a lot of people, my co-hosts included, look at as kind of a down point in a lot of ways. Um, but I think depends. that it depends, obviously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it I'll agree that it's not handled the best all the time, but I think when it is handled the best is when it's natural. And and when you have a character like Ned Leeds, it's always natural because he's always being that guy. You know, you know, you know, Ned, some men, some hats wear men. You wear that hat. Thanks. Gives me confidence. <laughs> like, come on, that's great. Like all of Homecoming, we could rattle off Ned Leeds lines from Homecoming that are just perfect. Like, you know, did you see it? It was so cool. He was going after you, and then I did it. I hit him with a whip. I'm like, Peter just Threw a guy through a bus, and Ned's like, yeah, I got him. I got him. You know what I mean? It's so good. Um, I'm going to round this uh, list out, man. I'm going to do it. You know, people people are going to be like, oh, it's premature. Oh, you're not doing it right. It's friend of the show. It's Harish Patel. It's Karen. Let's it's go. Karan. It's, it's, it's Eternals, man. The valet. Kingo's valet. I talk about how in that movie I didn't fall head over heels for any character. I talk about the Eternals when I say that. I did fall head over heels for Karan. I thought he was great. I thought the, the camera bit never got old for me. And I love that. And then you you round all that amazing comedic stuff that he him and Camille Nanjiani brought to the table. And then then you take a step back, the emotional moment in Eternals where he thanks them for their service. And it was an honor to be in the presence of people who bred humanity. That movie's fucked up, <laughs> but, but like it's so good and it's so charming. And you know, I'll say it he's a grown ass man with a family, I'm sure he's cute, he is cute, and I love it. I love his character in that. I hope we see more of him. I don't know in what capacity we would, but um, I think that he deserves to be on the list just because a true scene stealer in a the biggest ensemble movie since Endgame, you know what I mean. Like, other than Endgame, there's no bigger ensemble movie, and we all know Endgame's a cheat code, right? So let's call it the biggest ensemble movie in the MCU. He is a scene stealer as the the, the valet. Like, come on, it's it's perfect. It is, and the fact that he got his own character poster is just telling enough to how well he's played with audiences because there's no way that that was planned in advance. People, they saw the reaction to that he was getting on socials, and they've run with it. And I do hope we see more of Karun in a similar capacity to Luis, you know, you don't have to overdo it. He doesn't have to be the star of a project, but where Kingo goes, I think Karun should follow. And sure. I'm hoping for, for more of him in the future. I think it's a good pick. I don't think it's recency bias. No. And a Karun death would break our hearts. Oh right. my so, God. So, uh, Liam, don't do, you have do any that to mentions? me. Uh, know, right? Do you have any honorable mentions? Any honorable mentions? Um, well, when I was looking at names to include here, I wanted to heavily stay away from any superpowered people. So I feel like all of the names on this list are good in that sense. But you're giving me the shocked look. Like, did we, we had a miss? Hit me with Agent, it. Agent Phil Coulson. Shit. Yeah, but that's a miss. But the the qualifier I'll put on that is he's he's involved in the action. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's a side character. I agree, but 
he's a side character the same way like Maria Hill is a side character or maybe even a Peggy Carter. Like, no, you know, that's love interest. See, okay, love interest. I, I didn't say that at the top. Love interest is also a disqualifier. Sure. I, I understand why people might be, people inevitably will be upset and they'll see the graphic and not listen to our reasoning. However, <laughs> he's, he's, um, he's different than like a Louise or a happy Hogan or, yeah. or, uh, um, what's, what's her name? Darcy. Like, yeah, I just, yeah. I see, I, I think, I, I see, I think I, it's just a straight up miss. I see I the replies. It's... I'm trying to, I'm trying to make excuses and I just, I see the replies. Do we do it first time ever? Do we make a correction? I'll, I'll leave it up to you. I'm not going to swap Phil Coulson for any of mine. I can't do it. I can't do it. Ah. All right. It's a miss by us. I'll say it. You know what I mean? No offense to Harish Patel, but I do think you would be bumped to seven had we got to do this again. But you're on the graphic. We're going to get blasted for it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, some other honorable mentions I had, Trevor Slattery. You know, obviously a villain right. in Iron Man 3, definitely a supporting character in Shang-Chi. And on top of Trevor Slattery, I'll double it up. You know who else got a character poster? Morris. <laughs> it was awesome <laughs> and it was awesome um so uh, also aunt may obviously such a great character um uh shuri but you know shuri was in the in-game fight so she doesn't count right correct yeah sure and she's powered too before in-game i think shuri would qualify nah, maybe not qualify i don't know before before the end of black panther shuri's an amazing supporting character as the sister you know what i mean sure you know the fr- the, the friend of superhero thing shuri applies for until she puts the gauntlets on um, so yeah, there's our list. It was uh, James E. Wu, Agent Jim, James E. Wu, Darcy Lewis, Happy Hogan, Luis, Karan from Eternals, and Ned Leeds. Ladies, that ladies and gentlemen, that is our best supporting characters list. We will put the graphic up so you can blast us for not including Agent Phil Coulson, and we'll see you next time on the direct list. That was your top news. That was a lot of spotty talk, including an amazing spider-man review that was an interview and that was a direct list ladies and gentlemen episode 60 that was an episode and this is the direct podcast we cannot thank you enough for joining us every single week to talk about nonsense into your ears and we really appreciate it everything you need to know about the universes you love you know where to come and for more information make sure to check out the direct dot Com. Also, just a quick reminder, next week we will be reviewing The Amazing Spider-Man 2, so make sure to watch that before next week. Hawkeye Primer is in the can. Go check that out before you watch Hawkeye. Uh, we also have our amazing, the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer reaction in the can, so check that out as well. And then last thing I'll say, uh, if you leave a review between this episode releasing and the end of the year of our Lord 2021, you'll be entered for a chance to win a Spider-Man Funko Pop of your choice within reason i'm not buying one of those 45 dollars ones man. <laughs> let's, let's let's get a real funko pop going here um yeah guys thank you so much for joining us every single week but liam it's not just about men in tights it is about other things happening as well let's go to the weekly rex i'm gonna start it off by breaking the rules i have one more thing i, I remember to add to the amazing spider-man review ah and, and it's a negative so it's kind of a bummer thing to end on but it's a funny negative Okay. The coincidences in that movie is pretty ridiculous, right? Like, like you know, we're, we're looking for the bad guy and the bad guy drops a file with the little symbol we're looking for right in front of Peter Parker. He needs to get into the Spidey room and he just so happens to see the most complicated keypad of all time and just bip, and he nail it. And yeah. of course, one of the most egregious ones, I think, but you know, it, I don't care at all. It plays well. Have you ever made a vaccine for Dr. Connors? Yeah, I do it all the time. I can do it in my sleep. I'll do it right now. And she runs to Oscorp like, 
who is this eight, 17 year old intern with all this like amazing access to the most advanced building in the world, creating vaccines. <laughs> it's, it's just insane. Right? Like, bro, the I'm COVID not, vaccine, I'm not crazy, am I? <laughs> the COVID vaccine took eight months. Like what? Yeah. 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 Whip it out. The oh, whip senior it in, in high school just yeah. got it. Yeah. So yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, that's your, that's your weekly recommendation. Yep, sure is I'm breaking the rules, man. I'm the bad boy of the direct. <laughs> your 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 weekly statements uh, is what that was. Um, I, I have a recommendation. Uh, you mentioned Tasm two, and I'm really really excited to rewatch that movie. Not just because I remember liking it, and you know we'll see how the rewatch plays, but uh, I get to watch it on my big TV back home because it's Thanksgiving break. Get to go home for a week. Uh, be back with the family. Be back. I hate saying the term childhood home because it, man, it makes me feel a little old, but uh, it is my childhood home. Um, so getting to watch that movie on the big screen is going to be pretty fun. Um, but my recommendation to pair with uh, Thanksgiving break, uh, everyone has different ones. My school is a week off. Other schools is only a couple of days. If you're in the workforce, you might only get Thanksgiving itself off, uh, but maximize that time you have off. If you are traveling, link up with your old friends, make sure to see your family too often, especially last year um during like a long long extended covid breaks and it was different okay because we were encouraged to stay inside but i found myself you know you sleep in till noon uh you're on your phone you're playing video games and well that's fun like those people aren't going to be around forever you're only going to be in this in the same area as some of your close childhood friends and your family for for so long um i don't know what the future holds for me come may in terms of whether i'll be still in the Northeast or where I'll be across the country because the job hunt is real. So yeah, maximize that time you have off because it goes by quicker than you think. And uh, yeah, I, I say that it sounds a little somber, but I'm, man, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to see my boys again. I'm stoked to see my family. I'm stoked to see my dog. Shout out Piper. Miss you pipes. Piper. And uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun week off, but the content doesn't stop here on the direct podcast. And uh, that is not a complaint. I am genuinely looking forward to everything we're getting next week. I'm glad you're excited. Cause I'm driving from Denver to Indianapolis and it's going to be hell. Um, it's not that excited uh, guys thank you so much for coming in here on the direct podcast listen to liam enjoy your break enjoy your holiday because it's going to be awesome if you just make it awesome spend time with your people um spider-man tickets go on sale november 29th yes sir spider monday spider monday uh, horrible um <laughs> but uh yeah make sure to get those because they're going to go fast and and just quick thing that i want to point out real quick before we get out of here i know this is dragging a little bit i'm going to be in indianapolis for christmas when spider-man comes out Look at your schedule. If you're going to be out of town for <laughs> December 17th, make sure you get tickets for the right theater because you will get screwed if you don't. That's a big thing. That's a very good point. That's a That's really a very, good point. I think so too. I think we need to publicize that a little more. Um, all right, guys. That's been the Direct Podcast. We'll see you next week. She has her head and her heart and a broken body. Never wrong, but she always says sorry. Takes the pain and throws away her pride. For a man with a hole in the middle of his chest, promising herself that she'll only see the best. So she says and gives away her life. Paint over the walls now.
right. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, you know, we went a little long here and I know you had some internet uh, issues, but no worries yeah. whatsoever. Uh, thank you yeah. for hopping back in. You know, not a lot of people would. They might, if, if internet issues are happening, they might just leave. And so thank you so much for, for being committed. Liam, Liam, when we work, we work. Yes, sir. We have to finish how we have to see to it that it is the, the best work ever that Absolutely. I'm doing. This is what I always try to do.